0: previously on the sports refuge podcast there's a pirate ship in the stadium
1: come on man i was sold i was 14 i was like yo they got a pirate! yo it's got cannons yo bet say less this is my team from delaware
0: almost live this is a sports refuge podcast this is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports and now here's your host earl holland Welcome back to the Sports Refuge podcast, the show where guests share their connection to sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. Every year, the village of Cooperstown, New York, becomes the hotbed for everything baseball as each summer, the Baseball Hall of Fame enshrines its newest inductees into baseball immortality. With the announcements of the ballots for the 2022 Hall of Fame class, there are many names that are being talked about as players such as Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Alex Rodriguez, David Ortiz, and others involved in the steroid era of baseball, in addition to the off-field controversy involving Curt Schilling. In this episode, I talk with several baseball fans about their thoughts on not only this year's Hall of Fame class, but what, in their minds, makes a Hall of Famer. We'll also share our thoughts about what non-eligible players we think are Cooperstown worthy before ultimately giving out our own individual Hall of Fame ballots. My roundtable panel is comprised of the following guests. Tampa Bay Rays fan Megan Kim, Washington Nationals fans Dave Hudson and Thoran Dennis, New York Mets fan Brandon Burns, and Baltimore Orioles fans Brandon Riggin and Veronica Day. And now, here's episode 98, the 2022 Baseball Hall of Fame Roundtable. This has been a big one that I've been wanting to do for a while, and of course, with the announcements of the Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame coming out very soon, I wanted to get the Take of a lot of big baseball fans on their thoughts about the upcoming ballot and some of the people that are going to be on the list. And we have a big roundtable, and I'm glad to have everyone here. I'm going to introduce everybody as we go along. But first of all, my guest, uh, you've seen her on the podcast for the MLB Playoff Preview talking about the Tampa Bay Rays. She is also a Sports Jeopardy champion. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Megan Kim. Next, someone who has been on this roundtable before, and he has been a big help if you've seen a lot of these NFL playoff previews for helping me out. Brandon Burns, a next guest. Someone that I've been wanting to have on for a very long time. Someone I go way back with, back to high school days. I even played for his dad playing Little League. This is Brandon Riggin. And then my next guest, someone I had on a few years back when we were doing the embryonic stages of our NFL playoff previews. I know he was a definitely a huge Seattle Seahawks fan, and I'm glad to have him on, Dave Hudson. And then my next guest, uh, he's been on the live stream several times before. And, of course, many of you have heard some of his episodes that he's been in. And I know that a lot of you guys have known him so much. This is Theran Dennis. And then our final guest in this roundtable, someone who's been on several times before. She was in a previous episode with her sister, Nicole, and she was on last year's roundtable as well. This is Ronnie Day and with the video aspect, and I'm glad to have you here. The first thing I wanted to do as we start this roundtable, and I know I wanted to get a quick idea about what made everybody such a fan of baseball and what baseball means to each of them, and I'll start first with Megan, and then we'll work our way around all the way down.
2: Well, Earl, judging by the uh, age of this jersey I'm wearing, being able to grow up in the Tampa Bay area and have a a baseball team come to the city was a, a huge turning point for me. My mom actually is the one that introduced me to baseball and put me in winter ball when I was really young, had me playing with the boys. She actually taught me how to keep score. And we had season's tickets for the Rays for some of my middle school years. And it was always something that we bonded over a lot. So baseball is just something that has just always been a constant in my life ever since I was a kid. Now that I'm older and get to enjoy it even more as an adult, going to the different cities, enjoying the different cultures of of baseball towns and and baseball fans. Despite COVID last year, I was super excited to be able to go to Boston and, and go to Fenway for the first time and check a couple more uh, stadiums off the list last year. So we're more than a third of the way through all of them. We've got a couple more lined up for the summer, and baseball is fun, as Brett Phillips says. It just it really is.
0: Yeah, I think we're on the same path. I think I'm uh, nearly a third of the way through as well with my journeys. And we did a few in the summer going to Cleveland, Cincinnati and, and Pittsburgh. Brandon Burns, what is it about baseball that makes you such a big fan of the sport? I know you've worked in it as well. So you've had a unique aspect of what that is like. Yeah, I think for
3: me, obviously uh, playing since I was a little little kid up through T-ball all the way up through high school ball. But I think really for me, you know, the baseball uh, side of things, you know, growing up a Mets fan right in the smack dab of Phillies country kind of made it very interesting because there was that rivalry all the time with any of my friends really growing up. And then uh, as we progressed there and... uh, College baseball kind of got me into my sport management background, what I went to college for. And then uh, you and I met there in, in my four years of working for the Delmarva Shorebirds. So I got to really see the interaction, not only on the ticketing and marketing side, But then also doing uh, the on-field MC work for the Shorebirds there. So, you know, my growth for the sport, I I think, has really grown over the years. And I think, you know, as you guys were talking about, seeing every ballpark, I know myself, I've prided myself on actually being able to see every major league team. Uh, I now live in Pittsburgh. So, uh, obviously, I get out to PNC Park and see the Pirates, one of the most beautiful baseball uh, parks in the country, right there with Camden Yards. But uh, I've been able to now see every major league team come through, not only PNC, but in Baltimore, and also with the uh, Mets in the Yankee Stadium as well. Dave, what is it about
0: baseball that you love so much?
4: It's the bond with my dad. He loves baseball. He's been a baseball fan his entire life. We used to collect baseball cards together. You know, the old wood background 1987 Topps cars were the first cars we really got into. And we really enjoyed that. He's a big Yankee fan. I'm a Nationals fan. I started to enjoy them once they existed, once they moved out of Montreal (laughs) and got here closer to home. But for our family, Nats Park is our home away from home. We try to go a handful of times every year. We went to the... Fan event they used to have in December, but they've not had that in a couple of years because of COVID. But we're big Washington Nationals fans. Woke my son up so he could see the last out of game seven of the World Series 2019. That was really exciting. He got to come down at seven years old. So I was like, son, this may never happen again. So you gotta check this out. Your team don't win the World Series every day. But yep, just love baseball. It's my favorite sport. I'm just very happy to be here and talk baseball. They can't lock us out. You know what I'm saying, Earl? They can't lock us out. <laughs>
0: Brandon Riggin, I know baseball runs through your family, and I play with your brother. I played under your dad
5: in Little League. What does baseball mean to you? You know, baseball is, like you said, I grew up playing ball, you know, with friends and family, and, you know, we grew up in a small town, so pretty tight-knit area. Thoran, he's on here, too. We played baseball together as well. You know, there was just something about piling in the minivan and riding to the next town to get a Little League game in. Come on. <laughs> and, Yeah. And uh, so it's something I grew up on. I grew up watching the Orioles and baseball is just a beautiful game. It's a game that uh, requires the athletes to be very athletic, but it also requires a lot of intelligence to play it well. And there's just a culture around baseball that's really friendly to everyone. And it's just uh, something nostalgic about the game in general.
0: Duran, what is it about baseball that you love? What is it that drives your passion and fascination?
1: Uh, first of all, Brandon, what's going on, man? Hey, Theran, It's good to see you, man. Love the gruff. Love the gruff. By the way, Brandon and I think this runs in the family because Brandon has one of, if not the best arms I've ever seen in my life. This guy <laughs> could wing it, and and Andrew he could wing it too, but Brandon, <laughs> this guy could wing it really, like
5: not anymore.
1: <laughs> um, you know, just sharing the game with uh with you and Eddie. Say, you know, one well, that's probably the first time uh, growing up that I felt like you know. Part of like something, uh, you know, with, with peers, even though I guess you're a little more seasoned than I am. But um, yeah, it was the first time that I had fun like playing with other people, you know, and obviously it helps when his family, when you got, I mean, you guys are my brothers basically. So it was even cooler, like, you know, growing up, you know, learning the game from the both of you and, and playing it, you know. The yard with the uh, backstop, like, those are really, really fun days. And through that individually, like, I, you know, really, Like, the game I really took to it, like, I really love it. I enjoy playing a lot of sports, and I really take the baseball because, you know, like like Brandon was saying, like, yeah, like, it takes an athlete for certain, but the mental aspect, like, the mental endurance, I think, it takes. The the mental endurance, the mental toughness that it takes to play the game, I think that's, like, an underrated aspect to talk about. Maybe, like, when it comes to, like, pitching, but, like, I think, like, overall, like, even, like, in the outfield, like, just think, like... Especially, like, in Little League, like, if you're out in, like, right or left, like, I'm an adult, 88, so, like, having to, like, keep focused, like, learning to do that, like, always, like, stay in there, stay in every game, stay in every play, like, that was a challenge for me, but, like, you know, like, you get better over time, you know, you keep playing and whatnot. But, uh, but those games in the field, you know, like they helped, especially when we were pitching because, uh, you know, it was pitchers poison and we were awfully close to be using real baseballs and leaving them bats in retrospect. So it was kind of dangerous, but uh, it made it that much more exciting.
0: The next thing I want to ask everybody is briefly, if we can do that, how do you define a Hall of Famer? To me, I'll start off with saying Hall of Famer is someone that they're sort of the stories you hear about them are sort of like tall tales, like, you know, like how you hear Paul Bunyan and everything else and stuff like that. And no matter where you're going, and no matter what era, there's always some amazing story that you think about a Hall of Famer that's like, this guy is for real. Or is like, this guy seems like more like a video game. And I know we're going to talk about those type of things a little bit later as well. But everybody going around from, we'll start in reverse. Thoran, to you, what defines a Hall of Famer? Uh,
1: I guess how effortless you made the game look. I guess how you showed up in clutch moments, or big-time moments, or whatnot, uh, And... I don't know. I guess as a ball player, like, was I able to take anything? Was I able to learn from it? But I think uh, a great you know, the Hall of Fame player is even just by, most, by watching the game, you just taking and learning like they're having.
0: Ronnie, what do you think defines a Hall of Famer in your mind?
6: Um, I think beyond the statistics, you know, the statistics are great. You know, you want someone who's consistent, but I think that overall how they contributed to their team. If they had an off night, did they contribute in the field and how they consistently did that? I think it also has to do with how they are as teammates. Say they're on a disabled list. Are they still sitting in the dugout cheering their team on? Are they positive influence on their teammates? Just basically somebody who is overall, all around good on the offense, defense, but also that they're that player that the team can look to, say they're having a 0 for 10 streak. And that person's still the one that's out there pepping them up and getting the team going is keeping it positive and somebody who's beloved in the community. I think that helps as well.
0: Brandon Riggin, what is your idea of what makes a hall of famer?
5: So, yeah, I think it's definitely the stats, of course, you know, got to be there, but in the end for me, what makes a hall of famer is what they do for the game, what they do for the community, what they do for their team. To me, it doesn't really matter how many home runs you hit or what your stats are. If you're a total jerk, you know, if, People hate playing against you. People hate being on your team. If you're constantly involved in scandals or something going on, people who give baseball a good name, who, who are good for the game, you don't necessarily have to be, I don't want to use the word wholesome because, you know, not all of them are. But for the most part, you, you want somebody your kids can watch. You want somebody that you can enjoy watching and also knowing that they're a decent person too.
0: Dave, your thoughts on what makes a Hall of Famer?
4: Sure. Earl, and I see the potential for fireworks down the road already, so I'm excited about that because I don't really care if you're a jerk or not. I think it's two (laughs) things. It's sustained greatness for a long period of time, and we can define long in different ways depending on how great the greatness is. right? And the second thing is you need to mention this person's name if you're telling the story of the game of baseball. And if we can tell the story of the game without you, then – Maybe you're not a Hall of Famer, but there are like this list that we're going to talk about later. I mean, there are people that when I'm explaining to my kids and my grandkids someday what baseball was, there's some people on this list I can't move past. They are essential to the story, and I think those people are Hall of Famers.
0: Brandon Burns, what do you think about what makes a Hall of Famer? Dave, I'm
3: right there with you. We're going to have some fireworks later on tonight because uh, to your point, if you can not tell the story without mentioning that individual – I think the biggest thing as we've looked at athletes across the board anymore, they're all about their legacy. And if you can't tell the story of the particular sport without mentioning those guys, and I think a lot of this, and I know we'll bring it up later on, same with the baseball writers. I think they're trying to write their own legacies as well and uh, getting in the way of a lot of these guys potentially going in. So I know we'll
4: dive into that later on. You and I are going to be fine, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) Megan, what is your thought on what makes a Hall of Famer?
2: you know, really just to kind of agree with most of what everyone said, we know that the stats are easy to look at. And, you know, the game has changed. And we look at sabermetrics, and we look at at a lot of different ways of defining it. But I think the sustained, consistent greatness to be in this league for at least a decade, to be doing it as well as you did for that amount of time, and to really be better than anyone else at that position at that time on your team. Um, you look at something like war. If you were that much better than someone else that for that amount of time, you had a war of 20 or above or even higher than that, like most of the hall of fame members do now, then that's really a good way of defining greatness and and saying that you showed up frequently enough that you showed up consistently enough that you basically went to battle every spring training and you won your position back over and over and over again. And even if it wasn't for the same team, because we look at consistency, you know, you look at the players that played for one team, but then you look at other players who were consistently better than someone else despite being traded around, changing leagues, changing positions. They continue to sustain being better at someone else who could have replaced them. I think that's a really kind of objective way of looking at someone who really deserves being in the hall of fame.
0: And the next thing I actually had on the agenda, where you were mentioning sabermetrics. I'm going to merge these two things, talking about the selection process and the use of sabermetrics and Picking players. And to me, I'll start this off. I know you were talking about war, Megan. The one thing I noticed about war is war is a weirdly inconsistent category because so many different sites have their own variation of war. And honestly, I was just trying to go by initially – I know wins and losses are the biggest things that people harp on now, especially now that the way the game's changed, you're not going to have a lot of 300 game winners anymore, none anymore. You might not even have any 200 game winners anymore, but I always see it like this. I went by the biggest things whip ERA. Again, a lot of those things are dependent by if a, inherited runner scores that you basically kept yourself clean and a reliever couldn't do the job and then rbis as me and thran have always debated on are circumstantial depending on where you are in the lineup and who's hitting behind you and who's hitting in front of you and who's ahead of you on the base path because you have guys who can have dynamic seasons hit 35 homers and only drive in 80 runs because they're hitting fifth or sixth or nobody's getting on in front of them but it also go by ops and things like that we'll start with megan and work our way back around your thought on how the selection process is and how sabermetrics metrics will play a role in that.
2: Well, I've already heard a lot of people say that not only is baseball a great sport because you have to just be athletically inclined, but you have to be intelligent. I think the sabermetrics in the game just kind of brings that intelligence into the game of baseball, that you don't necessarily have to be the fastest, biggest, strongest. If there is a general manager and a team that is willing to get a good return on investment, they can look at all of these different statistics and figure out how is this player going to benefit our team? How is this player going to make other people around them better? And someone who roots for the Tampa the Bay Rays, I see where return on investment is kind of another way of looking at war. You know, can I replace you, get the same amount of wins, if not more and save money? That's, you know, really, it's kind of what makes baseball intelligent is that it's a lot of moving pieces. You know, it's this weird game of of chess, but also just gritting things out and needing to be as athletic as you are. It's tricky because the game changes in a lot of ways. And that's where I think the Hall of Fame, ultimately, you have to be compared to those that were in the same era as you. Everyone can think of name the greatest baseball player of all time. And I'm sure there will be in the top five people will say Babe Ruth. But then you have someone say, well, put Babe Ruth in today's ballparks with everyone else's talent around them. And is Babe Ruth a Hall of Famer? I have no idea. I don't think his head's frozen in Arizona like Ted Williams. So we can't bring Babe Ruth back to life and figure out, is he as good as, you know, Otani is. But we can look at the air he was in and we can look at him as being an irreplaceable player. That the equation for sabermetrics back in that time period He was your best player, but the sabermetrics now, you just can't, those aren't interchangeable pieces when it comes to looking at that analysis from a talent standpoint and looking at what makes baseball a winning game at today's day and age.
0: Brandon, how about you? What do you feel about the selection process? And as it evolves, what are your thoughts?
3: I mean, the biggest thing, you know, as we've looked at the game itself, I mean, I think we've really pandered to a offensive explosion for a lot of the sabermetric side of things. You know, when we look at the game now, I mean, how many people are actually hitting 300? How many people are actually putting the ball in play? We you know, see the strikeout numbers going through the roof. Ten years down the line, we're going to have somebody that you know, strikes out an average of 200 Times a year going into the Hall of Fame. When you look at back at you know some of the Hall of Fame careers, we have guys that are in that might not have struck out two hundred times over five six year span. So I think that's really you know playing into a lot of the different aspects of how we're selecting a lot of these guys. But then also I think there's a lot of outside factors that are coming into play that aren't necessarily on the field that are really looking at these guys and say you know hey what is their legacy. Are they a best baseball player or is it something else that's holding them out of this enshrinement process?
0: Dave, what about you? What do you think about the selection process? Is it something that still should be the same? Is it something else that you think that might
4: need to be different? Well, I can't stand how the voting happens. Some of these, the voting has gotten a little bit better now that some of these ballots are made public. But some of these clowns like Dan Shaughnessy votes for Jeff Kent and nobody else. I mean, that's a joke. That's ridiculous. He's just trying to make a story about him. Congratulations, you got mentioned. You're an idiot. I think when you're talking about metrics, I think the first thing every fan should do, frankly, is try to understand what these things are. Everybody talks about metrics. Most people don't even know what they (laughs) are. One of the things I did is I read Smart Baseball by Keith Law, if anybody's ever had a chance to check that, out, or any book like that. There are tons of books like that. Understand what people are talking about when they're talking about a lot of these plus stats are designed to even out differentials in ballparks and things like that. You're never going to be able to differentiate eras. Babe Ruth, greatest player of all time, never faced a pitcher of color that's just not the same when part of the population is not even invited to play, but he did what he did and he was the greatest at it when he did it. So I don't hold that against him per se. He's still a hall of famer. We need to judge eras against eras. I think when you start comparing guys, 2020 to 1980 to 1960 to 1930, you're really going to drive yourself crazy. So I don't even bother with it. We've got, you know, each era can have their own little Mount Rushmore and we can move on. But the process itself, Earl, to answer your question, we've got to do something about who votes and how they vote because you end up having guys that are off the ballot now that are better than guys that are getting in. And that's a problem.
0: Brandon Reagan, your thoughts on the selection process and, and how sabermetrics and advanced statistics
5: may play a role in that. Right, right. So I like the areas that they look at for a player, looking at playing ability. And they do take into account the sportsmanship and their integrity and things of that nature. Of course, as you're already figuring out um, early on in this conversation, those are important things to me. But I do agree with Dave in the fact that, and I think Brandon may have said it earlier, some of these writers are getting to play judge, jury, and executioner. And they're kind of using their own personal vendettas to keep guys out of the Hall of Fame. And, you know, a lot of this probably going to come up in the Barry Bonds discussion, but I really think that there's got to be uh, more accountability in how people vote and how they're allowed to use their votes. And, you know, maybe bring in some type of fan participation, you know, baseball fans can participate some, they get to participate in all-star selections and cast their votes and so I think there's got to be a better way. I do think it needs to be changed. And as far as sabermetrics goes, all in all, sabermetrics it's a good thing in my opinion. I like sabermetrics. Uh, I'm a, I'm an analytical person, so I like to see these things. I think it's it's great for competition. It could also be used in some areas that maybe people could rely on it too much or, or make weird decisions in a game based off of sabermetrics. I am an Orioles fan, so you know I can't live down the buckshow Showalter decisions, but. I think Sabermetrics are definitely here to stay. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that are against Sabermetrics is we have them in everything else. We have them in business. We have them in every industry has Sabermetrics one way or another. Uh, So I think they're here to stay and I like them.
0: Brandon Burns, uh, your thoughts on the selection process and if the role of Sabermetrics is also vital into it.
3: Yeah, Earl. I think, you know, as we look at that, the game's going to keep evolving. But I think when we really look at the Hall of Fame side of things, it's the eye test. I think for a lot of these guys, you can tell who can play. You can tell who the best is. So I think, you know, we can analyze numbers to the best of our ability as we kind of move forward.
6: But I think the eye test is the big thing as
3: well. Ronnie.
6: Well, as far as how the process goes, I mean, like with anything, it does probably need tweaking. But like Dave said, if you have a person who's selecting who has a vendetta against someone, like that's going to affect them. So you might have someone whose numbers aren't quite as good as someone. Now, I, granted, I did say that when you're thinking of Hall of Fame, you have to think about what they are in the community and all that. But at the same time, if somebody's numbers are like, for instance, Albert Bell, I know everybody hated Albert Bell. But, you know, when you think about, you look at someone like Albert Bell is not in Hall of Fame, but when you look again, there's maybe some other guy whose numbers aren't quite as good, but he was always with the media, talking to the journalists. So does he deserve to be in over Albert Bell because of that. So that's something that I think needs to be looked at. And as far as favorite metrics, I honestly have never liked it, <laughs> but maybe I should try reading the book like Dave said, maybe that'll kind of help me. But I do think that it kind of, I think it's, it makes it a little bit too, I feel like baseball is supposed to be fun. And I get that, you know, we do need that aspect of it. As he Brandon said, it's in everything you do nowadays, but I don't know. I think sometimes we spend a little bit too much time just in on it as opposed to just saying, hey, this guy hits 250 against this guy, you know, whatever, instead of always saying, let's just look at these papers, because you're bringing in somebody who's maybe a numbers guy, but he doesn't know baseball. Is that really who you want making your decisions for you? I don't know.
0: Theran, what is your thoughts on the selection process and advanced statistics? I know you took a baseball statistics class in college as well, so that might play a role in your thoughts, or maybe it doesn't.
1: Yeah, can't remember any of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I am largely with uh, with Ronnie and Burns I think Sabermetrics is for front offices uh, I don't think it's for the ball player or like, man. Uh, I think um, the cool thing about these guys on the ballot and I guess for the past uh, few ballots now uh, but these are my former years. So, I remember these guys, like, you know, every morning, you know, back then, when Sports Center used to be full of highlights and, you know, stats and digi and all that. Like, I remember, like, a lot of these guys, they they were in their prime during this era. So, you know, I remember, um, and, uh, yeah, like, like, you can look up numbers. Anybody can look up numbers. But, like, uh, you know, there's a story. There's a story with, with each player. I just remember how I felt or how I feel about each player. Like, at, at the end of that you know, career, like, you know, with the Hall of fame and, uh, it was And it was them picking.
0: One thing I will mention about that, I know that Ronnie talked about Albert Bell and his issues in Vendetta Media, and I, and I will bring this up. Comparative short career, Kirby Puckett. He was like if you had Ken Griffey Jr. with uh, Albert Bell's psychopathy off the field because basically he fooled a lot of people. and he got in the hall of fame if you read all the stories about that happened after his death about some of the things that occurred you'd be shocked but uh i'll just leave that alone on that moment that was just something with when we were talking about you know albert bell is one of those guys that again very polarizing had the numbers it was like sort of like ted williams where he lost an mvp because he was not media friendly and he had the better seat I know the um, people say DiMaggio's hitting streak was probably uh, better than hitting 400, but it's sort of one of those things. But we're going to move on to the next spot. Everyone, give one player who is not listening on the ballot, somebody whose eligibility is gone, that you think is a Hall of Famer and defend that reason why. And we're going to start with Megan going back on down to ran.
2: Well, the one that I'm going to defend just because I, it's more fun for me to do this, but it's definitely Pete Rose. But I'm going to actually go with Fred McGriff instead, just so that way I can continue to represent, you know, the Rays and, and his career. Among the players who are not in the Hall of Fame, he pretty much stands at the top of the list of most home runs as far as not being quote unquote tied to the steroids error. He sits at 493. Is seven home runs the difference between him being the shoe-in and not being a shoe-in? I don't know. I mean, he barely rushed 25%, I think was the highest percentage of votes that he got. And I I just don't think that seven home runs is the difference between 75 and 25%. So I'm not really sure because we talk about consistency We talk about going somewhere and being better than your replacement. We talk about making, you know, lasting efforts and memories. I mean, he was voted all-star in both leagues, different teams, one of two players to hit two home runs, 200 home runs in both the AL and the NL. You know, received MVP votes in, I think, eight of his seasons. So, you know, for an 18 year career and for eight of those seasons, for you to be on someone's mind when they're voting for the MVP, that's pretty resounding that in almost half the seasons you played, you were deemed to be top 10 in, in someone's mind when looking at the most valuable person for how many teams he played for. You know, I wonder if this is a guy that stays in Toronto for his whole career or, or sticks with Atlanta and stays with Atlanta. And when the price is right, is him going to the Rays to help start their franchise as he lose a lot of that kind of media trend and and maybe stays with the writers in their minds when it comes to voting for him. So I, I definitely think that, you know, Crime Dog is someone who really deserved a much better shot in, in the 10 years that he was on the ballot. I, I think he definitely will gracefully get in whenever the Legends Committee or one of the other committees, you know, yeah. votes for him later on. But I, I think he definitely got a raw deal for sure. Brandon Burns, how about you? For me, it's Mark McGuire.
3: I think, you know, when we look back at the story of baseball, especially coming out of the 94 strike year, without Mark McGuire doing what he did in 98, and at this point steroids be damned, I think he got a raw deal on getting railroaded as the one guy that started it. And for me, for the way that he wasn't big with talking to the media, he admitted to what he did. And I feel like, you know, without McGuire and what he did in that, you know, magical season in 98, that brought baseball back. I don't think we would be having the same conversation today if they didn't have that summer. Machado signing those deals, you know, Trout signing his deals, I don't think that happens without Mark
4: McGuire. Dave, your thoughts? Brandon, I agree with you. I would have said Mark McGuire, so I had to hurry up and Google Jim Evans real quick because I yeah. believe Jim Evans too. Jim Evans, 60.4 war in his career. Yes. As compared to Harold Baines, it has 38, and he's in. Eight-time Gold Glove Award winner. I just think Edmonds really got caught up in the voting kerfuffle we have going on now with the, quote, steroid-era guys, and he's one of these guys. that, And there are many in the last five or six years that have slipped off this ballot that are better players than people that are already enshrined. That makes me sad, but I will say Jim Edmonds. Brandon Riggin, how about you? Who do you think is a Hall of Famer that isn't eligible that
0: you think should be having a plaque in Cooperstown?
5: So, you know, it's debatable to some people, but kind of going along with the steroid era uh, theme, especially with Bonds being on the ballot and Clemens and, and their big years this year, my guy is Raphael Palmeiro. As an Oriole fan, I uh, grew up watching the guy. He put up good numbers, 3000 plus hits, 500 home run club. I think he, I really do think he was kind of a scapegoat in the, in the steroid era. I would defend him in the sense that you know, he did put up good numbers, and if you looked at the guy, he always denied using PEDs, and he did test positive after testifying to Congress. But I think there's something to be said that after these hearings, they went after um, other people for perjury, for lying under oath, but they didn't go after him. And they, well, he would have been an easy target because right after he tests positive. And he says it was something tainted by someone else, who knows. But honestly. His arms weren't popping out of his shirt. He didn't look like he was a bodybuilder. He has a natural ability. I was reading an article um, just recently about how he played a minor league game at the age of 50 with his son, who was a starting player on the minor league team. And the guy still went two for four with an RBI and drew a walk. I mean, the guy is a baseball player. And I would defend him in the sense that, you know, he may have got pinned for steroids, whether he did them or not. At the end of the day, when it comes to the steroid era, Uh, like Brandon said, it saved baseball. It saved baseball. It made kids excited about the sport. It it made it exciting to the home run chases. And, you know, there's an era of everything. You know, are we in the future going to say the Astros and the Astros can get in because of the trash can incident? Mm -hmm. Are we going to look at pitchers throughout history who, before there were cameras everywhere, were tampering with the ball, doing things, catchers using uh, sticky spray, there's there's all of these things and I'm going to just put it out there with the steroid era these teams knew what the players were doing they were probably providing it to the players they were encouraging the players to use it and they would just tell them hey do what you got to do and at the end of the day those guys will face the health consequences with injecting that into their bodies they're not hurting someone else by doing it and you know in a world where a lot of people think pro athletes make too much money you have to understand that a pro athlete, the team you play for pretty much owns you. They tell you how to eat. They tell you what you can and can't do. They tell you where you can and can't go. They write in your contracts, you can't play golf. You can't play Frisbee. You can't do whatever. It's a dog-eat-dog dog world. And so I would defend Rafael Palmero because I just think he's a quiet guy who kind of got pushed to the side. And I think that I would say this. This is what I would wish. If Bonds and Clemens get in, which we will discuss later. I think they're going to have to go back and look at some of these guys that fell off that were in the same area and give them some consideration. That's my defense for him.
4: I'm sorry, Earl, real quick. I, I'm so sorry. But Brandon said this, and this has to be said. And Bud Selig turned his back on steroids more than anybody else. And that sorry sucker's in the Hall of Fame. So Rafael Palmero, come on in. I'm sorry. I'm done.
0: <laughs> Ronnie, your thoughts on who you think is a Hall of Famer that is not eligible or who's not on the ballot, who's fallen off in the years.
6: All right. Well, one thing that I've like noticed in the last couple of years in doing this, the how many people that I thought were in the Hall of Fame. Like I remember Fred McGriff came up last year and it really surprised me that he wasn't. And I'm always gonna say Albert Bell, but and i said, bear with me, but I for whatever reason feel like Tommy John should be in the Hall of Fame. Now I know his numbers probably aren't what a lot of pitchers' numbers are than Hall of Fame, but if you can look at the fact that he had, like, I think two or three 20-win seasons after his surgery, that in itself, I think, and he had, I think, over 280 wins, and his ERA was, like, a three-something. But, I mean, considering he had – and he was the first person to do it, and we obviously we named it after him. So, for me, I think that when you look at that and how – He was able to come back and get 20 wins and then, and I, and still like perform. I just feel like he should be in there. And I mean, and I think he had like, I think I want to say over 1,000 strikeouts. So I feel like he really should be in there. And we hear about Tommy John all the time. I mean, Jim Palmer talks about him all the time. And you hear all about all these people that have it. And I mean, obviously, a lot of, I think, pitchers owe their careers to him because he was like, I would say, a sacrificial lamb. So I really feel like he should be in
0: there. Saran, what is your thought on uh, someone who's not on the ballot, who's fallen off, that should be a Hall of Famer?
1: Oh, definitely Jimmy Ballgame. Yeah. Dave, you mentioned him earlier. You're, told, you're so right about him. I mean, I just remember, and I guess we have to consider the, the era of center fielders, uh, you know, that he was, you know, that he came up in. And so we uh, Andrew Jones. He's on he's on the list here. Uh there's you know, guys like that. But uh man, I say second to Griffey, Edmonds had like the smoothest, like the prettiest swing ever. And I think, you know, the guy he had pop, he had, you know, obviously had the glove, championship ball player. But I think the thing that's really under undervalued about him is the fact that if you really watched him play, like he was a very, very fundamentally sound player. I just remember uh, and I think I may have told the story before. But uh, Coach Lampman back in the day, he uh, preseason, uh, one preseason, and uh, you know we were we were inside doing hitting drills, and of all the current ball players during that time, and we're talking like I don't know this may have been like '04 or 0-5. so you know a lot of these guys you know were still active and and still balling, but of all the hitters that he mentioned, it was Jim Edmonds. He was the one. Uh, guy, you know, he, he all I mean, you know, this is the case with a lot of good hitters, but Edmunds specifically because he had a very low maintenance approach to hitting. And if you notice like every hit every home run, you may have said that his swing was loopy or whatever, yada, yada. yada. It may have been long at the times. But you watch him, the man squared up every ball perfectly. Like you watch any of like his like highlight reels like on on, on the tube. Like the dude he was really good and and like i mentioned you know i like to be able to like think back oh what did i take from this player like i'm a basketball player you know and definitely i definitely try to imitate his stance even though he was a lefty i totally try to try to uh, be the the righty uh dim <laughs> for a stretch there and it, it worked it worked i went yard once doing what he did so he should be in the uh, ball
0: My choice, this is someone that doesn't get enough love, but his numbers are comparable with another Hall of Famer who had a shortened career and also played a role in the history of how baseball was changed. My choice is Dave McNally. Dave McNally had more 21 seasons than Sandy Koufax, had also two more years than uh, Sandy Koufax, both had arm injuries and both had other things that ended up shortening their career. Sandy Koufax had an out-of-this-world final four years of his career, but was pretty pedestrian uh, until 1962. Dave McNally had a 195 ERA, 22 wins, then 20-7 record in 69, 24-9 and in 1970, 21-5 in 1971, led the league in winning percentage. And looking, comparing to Sandy Koufax, Dave McNally also was a part of several World Series teams, and I know everybody's going to say, well, if Dave McNally was probably the second best player on his team, was Drysdale better than Sandy Koufax? That's the other question. Was Don Drysdale, Sandy is Jim Palmer? That was my one question about that. Also, when you look at it on the other hand, without Dave McNally signing off on the Sykes decision, that would not have changed the way baseball was played and free agency entering in the impact because without him signing off on that about the uh, reserve clause, baseball wouldn't have changed. Maybe people say it's been for the worse with skyrocketing salaries, but that is a part of an era that that is huge in addition to the steroid era, the juice ball era, everything else that occurred, the pre-segregation era, the free agency era is a huge part of baseball's history. And without him and Andy Smith to an extent as well, that stuff wouldn't happen either. So his impact as well. And again, more 21 seasons, more wins than Sandy Koufax in two more years, 324 ERA compared to a 276 ERA for Sandy Koufax. But, I mean, they were some of the most dominant lefties during their careers. We move on to the Veterans Committee ballot. Some names that got in the Hall of Fame We're running them off. Tony Oliva, Jim Cat, Minnie Minoso, Gil Hodges, Buck O'Neill, and Bud Fowler. We're all selected uh, in December. And we'll go quickly with this as we start looking forward to next year's ballot. Do you guys agree with the selections? Who else do you think should have been voted in, if anything? And we'll start with Megan. Megan. And go around
2: again. I think that from a popularity standpoint, most commonly heard standpoint, that it seemed that Buck O'Neill was the one who finally got the most justice served with finally getting into the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, I think that it's hard to nitpick the Veterans Committee selection process because I think that for the most part, the names that go to this committee are our people that are just like the ones that we just spoke about that we hope in in thirty years they're getting in. That you know, the people who wish that they were in the Hall of Fame originally, they get to you know, tell their grandkids about this guy that they heard about playing and how great he was and went on to be a manager. So I really think it's hard for, for the committee to sometimes get these picks wrong. I think that all of them are, are definitely deserving, and, and it's just great to see Buck O'Neill uh, get the recognition that he deserves. Um, I'm glad that his family gets to enjoy this for him.
0: Uh, Brandon Burns. I think the
3: biggest miss on this is how, how does Maris not get in? You know, when we talk the history of baseball, Guy was a two-time MVP, three-time champion, and owned the most storied record in baseball for how many years? Granted, his career might not have been from start to finish, but he had a four- to five-year run in there, that dominant player. And when you make the story of baseball, and I'll go back to my argument with McGuire, it was Ruth to Maris to McGuire. You can't tell the story of baseball without Roger Maris. How he is not in, especially on this vote, is beyond me.
4: Uh, Dave, your thoughts? I love coming after Brandon because I can just follow him up. That's exactly the answer, is Roger Maris. And I think the Roger Marises of the world, as well as the Negro League players of the world, these are the reasons why the Veterans Committee exists. I don't think Maris gets in under this traditional – like. I understand why he didn't get in in his 10 years when you look at his entire career, uh-huh. but these veterans committee guys, they're not using the same bar. Roger Maris, 100%. Buck O'Neill also was a right choice this year. And that committee needs to continue to look back in the segregation era of baseball and continue to right some of those wrongs each year.
5: Uh, Brandon Riggin. I agree with Dave and uh, Brandon on this. You know, I think that there are, Certainly the different eras in baseball that we see, and, and sometimes these, these votes, the baseball writers, they get it wrong. They do get it wrong, and it is, I think, um, a, a plus to have these veterans committees that can kind of right those wrongs. I don't know as much about the baseball from years ago as, as I'd like to, but I would like to say that um, I am happy to see, um, I think, Minnie Minoso. Considering you know, the stats and what he did for his team, I think it's, it's great that he's in. And, you know, I got to say on the Maris thing, I agree, you know, sometimes it's a disadvantage to the player in an individual status for himself as a player to be on a team with other players that are superstars. You know, uh, I'll go back to Rafael Palmeiro. He did a great job playing for the Orioles. The focus was on Cal Ripken. Everyone loved Cal you know, everybody had to write about Cal when and I'm a Ripken fan. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything bad about him, but you know, it's easy in in a situation like Maris. I think, you know, it's not just he gets overlooked, but also, you know, your opportunities as a player, you know, when you're batting in front of someone who's a power hitter, you get walked or you get pitched to when you should have been walked for a situation or there's so many different scenarios, but I do agree that um, Maris definitely deserves to be in for sure. Uh, Ronna, your thoughts on the Veterans Committee selections?
6: You look at the fact that Maris has one of the most, you know, unbeatable streaks ever. It's just, it's unbelievable that he's not in. That being said, I i do think this Veterans Committee is really great because you look at somebody Buckle, like Buck O'Neill, as as other people have stated. He really deserves to be in, and it's really great that he's in. You know, unfortunately, he's not here, but his family's here. And then somebody like Tony Levo, he is fortunately able to see himself becoming to the hall of fame and you know when he had 15 years with his twins and he he had like eight straight all-star games so it's great for people like that and it's wonderful but they're still missing the mark when somebody like roger maris is not in.
1: duran oh buck o'neill definitely it's it was it's about time i think when you think baseball lore like his he's definitely one of the first names that comes up if not his career just his wealth of knowledge, like the living like baseball encyclopedia for the majority of his existence, and uh, I just remember—I uh, <laughs> don't know if I mentioned this before, but uh, was it an uh, All-Star Baseball one of those All-Star Baseball games was 2002 or 2001? Uh, it had a special feature where, yeah, he was just recounting stories uh, about the Negro Leagues and like you know his experiences, uh, just knowing the majors and and just ball at the big league level in general. So when you think baseball legacy, like it's, you know, Buckley was definitely up there. So it was about time he finally uh, got through the game.
0: And my thought is one, I'm glad that not only all these names that are in here, Gil Hodges should have been in a while ago as well. Just even, even if you can add in his managerial numbers working in Washington, and then of course, helping the Mets to a world series I think that that's huge as well. It's tragic. Buck O'Neill is just like Ron Santo. They should have been able to get their flowers while they were alive, which was a crying shame. And the grace that Buck O'Neill had about that is, is admirable because you think about how easy it is to, uh, you know, we're going to talk about shilling too to get in a huff and throw a tantrum about not getting in the Hall of Fame when there's a way people can handle certain things. I will say Dick Allen should have been in a very long time ago because that was a wrong that, I mean, yes, not every, when it comes to black players playing in the 50s and 60s and 70s, Not everybody is going to have the affable personality of Willie Mays or or Hank Aaron, but he may have been, unfortunately, saddled with a reputation, which was unfair. He was not Albert Bell as a media darling. He was not Barry Bonds as a media darling. It's one of those things. Dick Allen should have been in the Hall of Fame for a long time ago, even as the Veterans Committee selection. We're going to probably get one of those other things where he won't be here to enjoy it, but that's another injustice. But hopefully that will be fixed along with Roger Maris because Roger Maris, The numbers that he had playing in Kansas City, playing in St. Louis, playing in New York, those things, like you said, the history of baseball. And of course, like I said, with going back to Dick Allen, seven time all star MVP rookie of the year. Why is he not in the Hall of Fame, especially compared with some of the other players that we've talked about that that have been left off the ballot? Next thing we go on to. This is what we've all been waiting for. This is the 2022 Hall of Fame ballot. We're going to go quickly through some of the new names that are on the ballot. We're going to go with at least four of them that are going to be discussed, and then we're going to go to the returning names because we all know that's where the controversy, that's where discussion is going to be. Looking at it, you look at all this stuff. There are some Hall of Fame caliber numbers, and the player has been up here. First person we're looking at, real quickly we'll go around, David Ortiz. We know about him, large in life, Big figure, part of those championship teams in Boston. I know one of the knocks on him, aside from the failed test in two thousand three, is that he's a DH. And I know there seems to be changing attitudes towards DHs with Edgar Martinez getting in, Frank Thomas getting in. We can go- briefly talk about David Ortiz and see what everybody's thoughts about David Ortiz' resume and career, and then we'll we'll go on that. We'll start
1: with going in reverse. We'll go with Thuran. Oh man, uh, big time ball player. I mean, everybody knows that uh, he was consistent, uh, and uh, he was a good hitter. I think that's not mentioned enough. Yeah, like yeah, he had he had big hits, he had pop, but I thought he was a very sound hitter at the plate. And uh, I think his sustained, you know, dominance—I guess has the DH and overall uh, as an offensive player—yeah, he's the Hall of Fame list.
6: Ronnie, your thoughts? Well, I think he's going to get in for sure. I think that even despite his being a DH, because you have to look at the fact that he was on those Red Sox teams, he was part of that 2004 team, and aside from the, the, the test and him um, annihilating the Orioles' bullpen phone, you know, he was pretty much well-liked. There, I think that there may be a, a, a writer in Boston somewhere that doesn't like him, so that person might, you know, quell his chances. But, you know, you have to look at, he plays on a high-market team, you know, a team that is well liked. It's, you know, it's, it was always about the Red Sox and the Yankees. So he's definitely going to get in, I think, first ballot, I believe. Uh, Brandon Rickon, your thoughts?
5: So, you know, I, I got to go there. Um, I'm, a, I'm an Orioles fan. It's hard for me to like David Ortiz. And part of the reason I, I haven't liked him for so long is you don't want to play against David Ortiz. It's just because he's, he was that good. He was a great hitter. You did not want to be pitching to him in a situation where the game was on the line. That being said, am I a little bitter about the bullpen phone he destroyed? Yeah, but that's the Oriole bias in me. But is he a Hall of Famer? He is a Hall of Famer. First ballot, I don't know if he'll get in first time, um, but I I certainly don't think it should be. um, I don't think he should be given the the treatment of waiting years and years to get in. When it comes to him, he was feared on the field for his performance, and I I think that he's definitely going to get in. I just don't know if it'll be the first time around.
4: Dave, your thoughts? If I was filling out an actual ballot, I would probably vote for nine people, not 10, and Ortiz would be number 10. If I had to vote for 10, I would vote for him 10th. Um, Ortiz is a person, as was mentioned earlier by, I believe it was Ronnie, he is going to bear, he's going to be the opposite side of Mr. Bonds. He's going to be a guy that was very, very well liked, and that will help him. As the media will vote him in, as Brandon said, if not this year, I think for certain it'll be next year. He did a lot of important things and a lot of big spots. I don't believe in clutch necessarily, but if you want to call somebody clutch, he would be the guy that you would call that his 2004 ALCS against the Yankees, that historic comeback was amazing. His 2013 world series was amazing. He's got like a 1.3 something OPS in the world series in his career. He is a 55 war guy, I believe, which I mean, obviously that's great. (laughs) There there, there are great players who don't make the hall of fame, by the way. And I, I think we need to be honest about that too. But, For me, if I'm building my own Hall of Fame, he probably doesn't get there. So not on the first ballot. But um, like I said, to me on the ballot, he's the 10th most worthy Hall of Famer. Uh, Brandon Burns,
0: your thoughts on David Ortiz? I think, you know,
3: as everybody's uh, mentioned, you know, I think, you know, when we look at his career stats are there. I know early on in his career, there was a potential PED thought on him. So I don't know if that clouds it at all, but I think, you know, as you looked at his media savviness, I know, you know, just with him being on Fox, you know, now World Series coverage, I, I think he definitely has ingrained himself to a lot of the writers. And I think, you know, even to just at the tail end of his career, you know, how he handled the Boston Marathon bombing situation. And really, you know, that's one of those moments outside of his postseason runs for me that stands out to say, you know, hey, you know, in this last, you know, 10 to 15 years. That's one of those moments when we look at baseball that really stands out to me.
0: Megan, your thoughts.
2: I think that that DH cloud is not something that should hold him back from the Hall of Fame. I agree that I don't think that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's definitely someone who very much deserves to be in the Hall of Fame within the next, well, probably two to four years. You know, even though he was a DH for a big portion of his career, not all DHs are hitting home runs every four games. So I think that really he showed that there was dominance at that position. He made a difference when he had his at-bats. And he was a very um, robust, poignant fixture in Boston. You know, and Dave, as far as 55 War goes, it is great. You know, it's actually the same as Jeff Kent's. So I'm just saying, if we're going to hate on Jeff Kent getting votes, you know. I think Jeff belongs in just for the mustache. That's the only reason I (laughs) vote for him.
0: I was going to say, and it's interestingly enough, (laughs) <laughs> uh, and we're going to go, and that whole thought of protection, I think Jeff Kent, Jeff Kent started, you know, he he had some solid numbers before he went to San Francisco, but hitting behind number 25, that really took his numbers off, just like Ortiz hitting behind Manny, uh, regardless of what you think about his three failed tests, I do believe in the theory of protection, and that's something we've always, me and Theran have dis- disputed and always talked about and things like that, but I know I feel like sometimes some people, how you're able to become that guy after the guy that was protecting you is okay. gone. That really shows what you can do. I mean, and Jeff Kent had the same thing when he went to the Dodgers and when he went to Houston as well. I mean, even though he had a bunch of guys uh, hitting, hitting in front of him, Bagwell, Biggio, all those guys. But I, I think Ortiz is a Hall of Famer. How long they're going to punish him for that 0-3 test That's going to be the question, you know, we're going to figure that out. But then the next person we talk about as we go back around, starting with Megan, is A-Rod. And we all know A-Rod, he's become a media darling, but he still rubs people the wrong way. And it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. What are your thoughts, Megan?
2: You know, you love to hate him. I mean, he's just got a really punchable face. And and now that all of those teeth are so (laughs) veneer and pristine, I just want to knock every single one of them out. But numbers don't lie. He made a name for himself, you know, at a very young age and, you know, was able to be really the person that each team that signed him to each lucrative contract wanted. As far as baseball writers being judge and jury, he's someone who did actually face you know judge and jury he's someone that did his time he you know did he pay his dues i don't think as much as i wish that those types of things and being a total schmuck should be held against you it really unfortunately he's he is a hall of fame guy he is Brandon burns
3: statistically there's no doubt as you look at being the only one that got really dinged for the entire season that's hall of fame worthy I think as we look at the steroid era in general, I don't think that the writers just the way he's really gotten to know a lot of them over the last, you know, 5 years especially with his work for ESPN that they're going to hold it against them. I think, you know, when we look back and, you know, I know somebody mentioned it earlier about, you know, how a lot of these guys are jerks to the media, I think that's really going to play into him getting in. I don't think that they'll put him in first ballot. Just from that sheer fact that he does have the full season suspension there. But I think when we look at how A Rod changed the game, you know, he had that $252 million contract. I remember he signed that. It was insane to think that somebody could get paid that much to play the game of baseball. You know, now when we look at some of the contracts now, that's peanuts compared to what some of these guys are getting paid. So I think he definitely has changed the game, but in the same regard, like when we look at the steroids thing, it's either an all or none. If you let A-Rod in, you got to open the floodgates and let everyone else in. Dave, your thoughts on A-Rod?
4: A-Rod certainly made it harder on himself than he should have. That's for sure. As is mentioned, he's not likable. I can't stand the guy myself. Signing with the Yankees for this particular reason was a huge mistake. Uh, I realize he won his World Series there, but he just became that much more hateable going to the most hated team in the league. And then he stops playing shortstop, which also hurts his case because historically he's a better shortstop than he is a third baseman. If you divide those numbers as to when he played where. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, Derek Jeter is a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, right? He's already in. There has never been a day in Derek Jeter's life he was a better shortstop than Alex Rodriguez. That's just a fact. A-Rod's a Hall of Famer.
5: Brandon Reagan, your thoughts? Yeah, so I got to agree with Megan. The whole A-Rod, his face, it's awful. <laughs> He's, you do love to hate him. Um, and as an Orioles fan, I really liked A-Rod in his early days with Seattle. And he had such great potential. When he went to the Yankees, it was kind of like, uh, you know, because I just hated the Yankees and and for them to have him. Unlike David Ortiz, I can't get over A-Rod's personality. I just can't. To me, honestly, he may have been good in his stats and the things that he did. It's undeniable he had talent. But uh, gosh, there's just something about him. And You know, that's not a reason to not vote for him. But A-Rod certainly, you know, I remember when he was serving uh, his suspension, the camera caught him passing a ball to a girl in the stands, a female with his phone number on it or something. I mean, (laughs) you know, he was... He was this goes back to what I said in the very beginning. He was not good for baseball in the sense of what baseball stands for. He's very self-absorbed. And then you get the whole role model debate. You know, people think athletes should or should not be role models. I don't want to get into that. But he's not somebody that I think should be looked up to in the sense of as a Hall of Famer. Will he be a Hall of Famer? Yes, he will be a Hall of Famer. And I think Brandon may have said something about it. His chances are going to greatly depend on what happens with Bonds this year, as they should. If they're going to hold Bonds out, then A-Rod with the whole biogenesis scandal and, and everything that's been around him, I think it's definitely something if Bonds doesn't get in, A-Rod can't get in. And A-Rod's certainly going to make up for some things, being in the media himself now, being you know on ESPN so much and Major League Baseball, you know, doing all these things. So he's going to try to clean up his image quite a bit, and I think he will, and I think that that will help him get in. Stats you can't deny, though. I mean, he is a Hall of Famer.
6: Ronnie, your thoughts on A-Rod. Well, first of all, I'm going to echo what everyone says. I do not like A-Rod. I never have. I never liked him back from when he was in Seattle, and I felt like he was stealing King Griffey's Jr.'s Thunder. And I never believed the whole good, like, I remember there's an article in Sports Illustrated about him. And I'll never forget, because my sister had the picture when I walked. I was like, take that picture. But he was, like, in the mirror, and he was talking about how he drinks milk and all that, and I never believed it. So I've never been an A-Rod fan. my feelings aside, what I will say is I think that, His post-career is gonna help him. If he gets in, it's gonna be what he did in his post career that pushed him into it. Because he's been a baseball analyst. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I think dating Jennifer Lopez has helped him. I think it's kind of changed his image because I mean, let's be honest, outside of sports, how many people really know who he is? Who not many people really care who he is? I think that him being in the spotlight and and kind of just doing this whole like I don't wanna say 180 because I think it's fake, but you know, he presented this whole 180. I think that's gonna push him into the Hall of Fame. I personally don't like him, but it's like with, again, like with David Ortiz, he's on, he was on the Yankees. That's going to put you in the forefront of the media. So will he get in first bout? I don't think so. But, um, and I agree with what everyone's saying. If you're going to keep like the rest of the guys out, you have to kind of wonder if they're going to keep him out. But like I said, I do think if he gets in, it'll be what he did post career to kind of clean up his image to get himself into the Hall of Fame.
1: Florian, your thoughts on A-Rod? Oh, well, contrary to consensus here, uh, I actually like Arod. Um yeah. Now, admittedly, and, and uh, Brandon, uh, Regan, uh, you're right about his uh, self-absorption. Uh, I think that hurt the game of baseball uh, for a little stretch there. It was a black guy. Um, but, man, somehow he came from the bottom, and I guess he's risen to the top of life because – He's a joy to listen to in the booth. The guy knows the game. Like, I'd really love his insight. So, I don't know, maybe this is his way of realizing, yeah, maybe I was a jerk at times. You know, maybe I didn't approach my... Or maybe I took the fans' love for me for granted or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. I think he's made a a, a baseball career-like turnaround uh, offering, like, his knowledge of the game because uh, I think you can learn from him. But as a baseball player... The guy was great. I mean, <laughs> he just defense. I mean, he was top tool player. I'd say he mirrored Griffey as far as the smoothness of his swing. He hit the ball to all fields. He hit for average. I thought he had a good eye. Uh, and I don't care what stimulant you take or what pill you take or whatever. It doesn't help with your overall judgment. And I thought for the majority of his career, he had one of the better eyes I'd, I'd ever seen. But he'll probably get in his tenth year. I think that was my feeling when I looked over his name. Like, yeah, he has a long way. I feel like even though he's like sort of like rebounded his profile, yeah, I still feel like it's going to take a little more time before people are like, okay, yeah, we can forget about all, you know, It was Robin Baseball, <laughs> whatever. But uh, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer, but it'll be it'll be
4: later.
0: Yeah, A Rod's got a uh, ways to go. Yes, him being more accessible to the baseball media is going to help but we'll see what's going to happen with that. Another name I'm going to put out here, one that this will be up for discussion and no marks of steroids with him, but Jimmy Rollins, Jimmy Rollins on the Phillies. That is an interesting name. I was going to go with Mark Teixeira, but looking at it, a guy who hadn't had 2000 hits and has 400 home runs, you know, you sort of look at Teixeira and it's like, eh, maybe, but Jimmy Rollins might give uh, at least uh, an interesting run at it as a guy who was an MVP, uh, an all-star, part of a world, two World Series teams, one World Series winning team. What are your thoughts on Jimmy Rollins? And we'll start with Megan going on
2: down. You know, Jimmy Rollins is definitely a toss-up. If there's one thing that we know, you know, that being great for one season is not a guarantee to being in the Hall of Fame. You know, one-time MVP winners are, are about 50-50 as far as being in the Hall of Fame and not. And so... That's um, not necessarily a slam dunk for eligibility and, and for deservingness. You know, you think about his defense, you think about his contribution to Philadelphia, being part of the team that beat my Rays in 08 for the World Series. I think he might be a guy that lingers for a few years. I'll be really interested to see what percentage he hits in this first ballot. Is there enough writers out there who really think about his charisma and think about being the face of the Phillies for some solid seasons there I don't know it's a tough one I think that if it's my ballot I'm I'm not voting for him this year we'll see you know I mean it's definitely um be interesting to see what happens you know' he's, he's got a, a war below 50 you know I don't know I, I think he I think we might see him linger for a few years and and depending upon those percentage thresholds I got a feeling that Jimmy Rollins is someone that's going to fall off. Brandon Burns.
3: Jimmy Rollins, to me, great career. I personally don't even know if he was the best player on his team during those years. You know, truthfully, when you look at that team, you know, whether it be Jason Worth having a good year before he went to the Nationals, Chase Utley, you know, as a Mets fan, I can't stand any of them. But looking at, you know, even the years with Ryan Howard, you know, Ryan Howard hit, I think, 58 home runs the one year, you know, is Rollins really the catalyst that moved that team yes from a charisma standpoint and maybe from a leadership standpoint absolutely but I think you know when we look at it Jimmy Rollins' career really parallels David Wright's career neither one of them really got over the hump to say hey here's the number one player on this team Wright even had Reyes Beltran so I think when you parallel both of them I think he's going to get some votes. He might get the 5% to stay on the ballot, but I don't think he really ever gets in until you get to a veterans committee or, you know, down the line when, you know, the steroid guys have flushed all themselves out and we're kind of in that mode of, you know, maybe 10 years down the line. Hey, he was clean for the entire time during his career. Let's get him in. All uh, like an Alan Trammell type scenario.
4: Hey, your thoughts. I feel like this is an easy one. I heard Megan talking and Megan did a great job and everything that she said about Jimmy Rollins was true. And she stopped talking about his play after about the second sentence. And when you got to get to other stuff that early, you're in trouble. He's not a hall of famer and neither is Mark to by the way, the exact same thing, but you didn't ask about him. So
5: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Brandon Riggin, your thoughts. Yeah, you know, um, I've always been a guy who pulls for the underdog. And so, you know, I I want it for him. I I do. But I just don't think it's there. I don't think he had that push to get over the hump. I don't think he's going to get that push. I mean, obviously... His first goal is going to be getting the 5% to stay on the ballot. That's it's, it's going to be a long road for him if he does get there. If he does get there, I think it's going to be uh, after the fact with the veterans committees. And I do think that, as was mentioned, some of his votes are going to be swayed based on what happens with this steroid situation in the Hall of Famers. Do they start to lean towards a guy like Jimmy Rollins because they're still – boycotting the steroid guys, or it remains to be seen. I like him because I like people who steal bases. I like guys who are fast. I like guys who hustle. Um, so I like him for that. Ronnie, your thoughts
6: on Jimmy Rollins? Well, first of all, um, I'm a huge Jimmy Rollins fan. So I'm going to just get that out there. I would have never thought I would like the Phillies, but Jimmy Rollins made me like the Phillies. As Megan said, he's got a, he's very charismatic. You know, he's got that big dimple smile. You can't help but love Jimmy Rollins. He's at the top in the many categories with the Phillies. So that's a, you know, a huge plus, you know, you have to look at what he did in the world series, you know, how he saved them the following year to to send them back to the world series. That being said, are it enough to get him into the hall of fame? I don't know. I mean, I think as far as writers are concerned, I think that he's going to be one of those guys that I think people said before that if he does get in, it's going to be further down, or he, he might even be the ones that show up on the veterans committee. So, I mean, if I'm voting, I'm voting him in. But realistically, I think that if he does get in, it'll be much later down the road.
0: Coran, your thoughts on J-Roll?
1: J-Roll, he's a solid ball player. He's a a pretty good ball player. Uh, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but I enjoyed watching him play the game.
0: Now we're going to the names that everybody's going to want to talk about. And seeing that there's a, a chunk on here. I put three important names up there and then another name that's sort of interesting that's going to be there. And then we'll go with the rest of the crew, which is hard to say because that's a star-studded everybody else as well. We're going to look at Barry Bonds. He's coming back 10th year on the ballot along with Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling. We're going to give each of those three the devoted time, and then we'll talk a little more about a few others. Thuran, your thoughts on Barry Bonds? Easy. Hall of Famer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they don't call him the greatest color man in baseball for nothing. Uh, Ronnie, your thoughts on Barry
6: yeah. Bonds. Um, You know what? I think I said something similar last year. Barry Bonds did not do himself justice. He was, he was such a natural talent. I don't know why he felt he needed to use steroids, because we wouldn't be having this discussion. Barry Bonds would have been in – first ballot for sure i think he belongs in there but then again you have to go back to is that there and i think the writers are trying to do is they're trying to you know tell these guys out there you yeah, look this is not okay so i think if they do get in like i think they're gonna probably put all the guys in that they do get in but it's like they're trying to prove a point don't do steroids so i don't know i mean like they've said before if he gets in you gotta let the rest of them in dave your thoughts on bonds and i know it's gonna be a very interesting one
4: Well, Ronnie, I I can answer the one question for you. The reason why he started doing them is because he was watching Sosa and Maguire and they were getting all the attention and they were getting all the endorsements and they were getting all the money and they weren't a tenth of the baseball player. He was Barry Lamar bonds is the greatest baseball player I have ever seen in my entire life. And I don't know who's second. I don't care. Okay. Okay. Barry Bonds. I mean, I just want all my time on Barry and then you can skip me for the rest. No, no, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, Like I will never. And I mean this, Earl. I've said this for years. I will never set foot in that Baseball Hall of Fame. I will never buy a ticket until Barry Bonds is enshrined as a member because that museum is a joke. If it doesn't have Barry Bonds in it, I don't care what he did. I don't care what he said. The man flat out, I mean, he has got war seasons that I mean, he. you could pick out his five best seasons and he's got a higher war than Harold Baines, who, who's a Hall of Famer. I mean, I mean Barry Bonds is so far and away the greatest player of the last 50 years. I mean, like I said, I don't even know who's second. I, I would argue he was better than Griffey before he was on steroids. Now, I know Griffey was much more likable and people didn't want to say that. I mean, you know, this guy's a seven-time MVP. He had, what, three of them before anybody even thought about steroids. I mean, this guy was a top 25 baseball player before he went to the Giants and hit every pitch he saw into McCovey Cove. True. If Barry Bonds isn't a Hall of Famer, then nobody is. Board up the place and move on.
5: <laughs> Brandon Riggin, your thoughts on Barry Bonds. I came back just in time. Um, so, you know, I'm going to say this. Uh, I know earlier on I was talking about integrity and those things, but you're going to be surprised that Barry Bonds is in. He's got to be in. Regardless, (laughs) Dave, regardless of the steroids, his stats, I mean, even if you take off some of it, factor out like a handicap for steroids, the guy still did it all. I mean, he, he stole bases. He hit for power. I mean, he was legit. You can't deny Barry Bonds any longer. Barry Bonds is bearing the brunt of the steroid era right now. He's, And really, this year, I'm glad it's the 10th year because they're going to finally have to do something. They're either going to have to let him in and start recognizing that these guys, even though they took steroids, that was the time. That was the era. We already had the discussion about how it was looked at then. They turned a blind eye to it. It made the team's money, made the league money. It it helped promote baseball. It made people excited about it. You know what? It's time to get over it move on. Bonds is in. In my opinion, Bonds is in. And if they don't put him in, I think think they're going to really hurt the fan base. The longtime true baseball fans who were following baseball as Bonds was playing are going to be pretty upset by it.
0: Brandon Burns, (laughs) your thoughts?
3: Statistically, I test... Everything, I can tell you, I sat in PNC Park and almost got killed by one of his home run balls. This thing was (laughs) a missile coming out to right field. Do I think he's a Hall of Famer from the stats and the way he played the game? Absolutely. Does he get in, though, with the baseball writers? 61%, guys, is what he's at. He's not going to get the extra 14%. They're going to prove a point this year with him and with Clemens they're not going to get in, and they're going to make the Veterans Committee do it later on in life. As much as we want to sit there and you know say that they need to be in, they're not going to do it because the baseball writers, and I know we all have qualms with how they do this, they all have vendettas, and they're all going to prove the point. They wouldn't have held them out for nine years just to let them in on year number 10. They're going to make them wait that much longer.
0: Megan, your thoughts?
2: You know, as much as I agree with everyone, I think Brandon makes a good point that why now all of a sudden, you know, do they say, oh, we were just messing around, playing the narrative for a decade. Okay, he's in. I think it's unfortunate. You know, I think that he absolutely is deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. I think that it's a really weird precedent that the baseball writers think they're setting by basically saying that you don't get in only if you get caught, only if you lie to people, only if you do what a good amount of people are doing, um, and you make us look bad as writers when we try to call you out about it. You know, I think that it's, in a lot of ways, um, an injustice to a very long, successful career he had. I think a lot of people will argue that one of the most athletic things you can do is hit a moving small ball at 98 miles per hour and crush it into a body of water outside of a stadium structure. And there are no amounts of steroids that can make me do that unless I have some sort of natural capacity and capability and talent of being a baseball player. Barry Bonds is a baseball player. He's a really, really, really great baseball player, and he absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame.
3: If I could jump in real quick, Earl, I think one of the things I forgot to mention as well is when we look at all these guys from the steroid era, the only way that the floodgates are ever going to open up, I think, for them is somebody that's already in the Hall of Fame needs to literally come out that's been a slam dunk voted in and a 1,000 percent, hey, you're a Hall of Famer, needs to come out and said, I did steroids during my career. That's the only way the stigma is ever going to get off of. Mm -hmm. I know there's some guys that are in that, you know, Piazza was always questioned. But I think if somebody comes out and says, hey, I did them during my career, that's going to be the only way that the stigma is going to get off of these guys. Mm
4: -hmm. If anybody has Jeff Bagwell's number, I will call him and tell him that right now.
2: You know, and, and the thing about it too is, is as a healthcare mm. professional, I feel very confident in saying that there's a lot of things that enhance performance good trainers, um, supplements. There's a lot of things besides anabolic steroids that help you be stronger, better, and faster, or what you are naturally capable of performing. Um, there are a lot of advancing and evolving technologies out there that are allowing people to play. For longer careers, we can look at Tommy. We, we, we've talked about Tommy John. Tommy John surgery is enhancing performance for a lot of people. So there are a lot of ways out there, both injectable and non-injectable, that are allowing for people to sustain their performances longer. I know this is a baseball Hall of Fame panel, but there's no way that someone back in the '80s or '70s is playing for as long as Tom Brady is, unless he has his dietitian, his massage therapist, these professional athletes, I go back to sabermetrics and return on investment. They're investing millions of dollars into their body. So why is it just unfair for someone with anabolic steroids to have this against them and not the person who's putting $2 million of other, quote unquote, not on the banned list into their body to help enhance their performance? You still have to be able to show up and perform regardless of what you're putting into your body and what you're doing with your body.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the other thing. Steroids help some Fringe guys become everyday players, and maybe other people just allow them to stay in the lineup longer. Because, again, hand eye coordination, those things you're going to need and just like anybody, we could always talk about Gaylord Perry and all the stuff that he did with the ball, that you know, it's a running joke with him about the Vaseline and whatever else he did and it's one of those things that's going to be interesting how people vote, and I think also another trend that might help is that there are more younger writers coming in who could change the balance, so all the older writers who hadn't been to a game in years, who got pushed off the ballot those guys are being replaced by people who are in their 30s, 40s, who grew up watching baseball in the 80s and 90s and the changing attitudes, and I think The biggest thing was that there are some people who are notable media figureheads in baseball who had no voting power. Bloggers are starting to get that. TV people didn't have that. You wouldn't be surprised that, of course, Bob Costas doesn't have a vote, unless that's changed lately, but I believe at one point he had no vote. And that's interesting. People that, who've been around who've been on TV and all those things, a lot of those people might end up weighing in that factor as well. We'll talk quickly about Clemens because it's the same boat as Bonds going on the way around Megan DeThoran. Megan, your thought on Roger Clemens?
2: It's 100% the same argument. There's no reason for for either of those players to be on their last year of, of eligibility. Top two ward statistics of, of all of the players that appear on the ballot. 100%. It's an absolute no-brainer. We all drink Gatorade. You know, there was a time and a place that Gatorade was designed and developed to help enhance performance because players were cramping. It's not up to these vigilante baseball writers and media and, and commissioners and everyone else to sweep things under the rug and only hold a select few accountable. Roger Clemens is in. And he should be.
0: Brandon Burns. Same
3: argument as Bonds. I think if statistically he's in, but I don't think he's going to get more than 61. I think his votes are actually going to go down because the writers are going to make the point.
4: Dave. Hall of Fame is not a church. It's a baseball museum. Put the greatest players in. He's in. I'm not saying he will get in. I'm saying he should be in. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs)
5: Brandon Riggin. So I think definitely same argument. Clemens should be in. I think what... He and Bonds have going for them is it's both their last year. So if they're really going to prove their point, they're going to have to do it to both of them. And it might make it a little harder for some of the writers to put them both out and really tick off two of them. But like I said earlier, when you think of somebody you did not want to face, you didn't want to be facing Clemens. And um, Roger Clemens was definitely had the stuff. So he should be in. If Bonds gets in, he gets in. I think they're either both get in or both not get in. Ronnie, your thoughts on Clemens?
6: Yeah, what everyone's saying. I mean, he should be in just along with Bonds. I'm, I agree with Brandon, though. I think if they're either in, both in, or they're not. I mean, it's going to be really horrible if they don't because they're such talent. But we know writers can be petty. So it's all up to how they're going to, how if they're going to be like, you know what, let's let them in. They belong in here. Or if they're going to be like, no, we want to prove a point. So Thran, the Rocket, what are your thoughts on the Rocket? Oh, another
1: easy, easily in the Hall of Fame. He should be anyway. We're going to mention Schilling soon, I'm sure, sure. But uh, I think I said this about Schilling one time. I'll say about Roger. Every time he pitched, it was like an epic. You know, it was very cinematic. And you just felt that, oh, yeah, like, we're going to remember this game. And a lot of those games counted. A lot of those games meant something. And when I think about The Rock, I think more about those performances more so than... The allegations and, you know, his attitude and, and his poor shown in the subway series. I, I hated that he did that short of a bad uh, at the I thought that was, when you talk about character, the character of the game, and arguably that's, you know, a subway series, you, you can't ask for a bigger World Series, a bigger game for baseball in general. And the fact that Hades had to do something like that on that stage was really disappointing at that time. But overall, yeah, the guy, he should be in because he was a baller. I mean, top two competitor, like of all time. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like Maddox level. And here's the thing. We're going to get into shilling because we know
0: that's a whole different story. And a lot of people one time said his win-loss record in the regular season wasn't that spectacular, but it's what he did in the postseason. And then a lot of things that follow him off the field, as opposed to on the field, might have uh, dinged a little bit of his Hall of Fame resume. And then him, after not getting in, taking the alternate route, bonds and... And Clemens were silent about it. Schilling asking to be taken off the ballot. That's one thing that might ding his thing. And we're, we're going to have to go into that because it's like the George C. Scott thing about for an Oscar. If you nominate me, I will decline. And if I win, I will not accept it. And this is the thing now that Schilling has put himself in that situation That while he did not take steroids and he has been adamantly anti-steroids and that's the one thing that might have helped him had he not continued to put his foot in his mouth about certain things, whatever your political beliefs are. That's one thing. But asking to be taken off the ballot after not feeling like you didn't get in, not getting your way. That's going to be the biggest thing that hurts him. And we're going to work all our way back around. Let's change this up. Dave, your thoughts. I know you got to say something about chilling. his thoughts about being taken off the ballot and everything else is going to figure into that.
4: Yeah. So if you talk about being likable and Ortiz is the poster chopper for being likable, Schilling is the poster chopper for being unlikable. Uh, <laughs> there's no question about that. The thing about Schilling is, you know, Schilling was great with the Phillies when they were terrible and no one really knew about it. It wasn't until he got to Boston and Arizona and that people really started to understand who he was. And that is true, Earl. He has the stats to get in anyway, but those epic postseason performances really put him over the top as far as for most people. But again, like you said, it's a very different story than Clemens, but this is the Clemens and Bonds conundrum that that keeps happening because all night people have been saying, well, if you let those guys in, it opens the floodgates. Well, to me, look at the opposite of that. If you don't let Clemens in, how can you let Schilling in? Schilling was Clemens' light. You know, I mean, if you don't let Barry Bonds in, how can any offensive player get in? The Hall of Fame, because they're trying to be the morality police, have tied their own hands and made this so difficult, much more difficult than it has to be. Vote in the best baseball players. Because, again, should Schilling make it? Yes. If Clemens doesn't make it, Schilling shouldn't be there. And that's the whole problem. That's the entire problem.
0: Ronnie, your thoughts on Kurt Schilling?
6: Well, like Dave said, Kurt Schilling It's a little bit different with him because Bonds and Clemens have kind of kept quiet. They've shut their mouth. You know, they were what they were during their career, but you know, post career they've kind of been quiet. They've you haven't heard a lot of them. Schilling, on the other hand, he can't keep his mouth shut. He's talking all this stuff. He's gotten just put his foot in his mouth, and that's going to have an impact. I mean, honestly, if you look at his numbers. He's nowhere near where um, Bonds and Clemens are. But it's the postseason that's going to push him there. The bloody sock game, you know, all all that. But is he going to be able to do it because he threw a temper tantrum, pretty much. That's what he did. He threw a temper tantrum. Oh, take me off, take me off. That's going to affect him. So he might not get in, honestly, because, like I said, like with Clemens and Bonds, they shut it down. They didn't complain. He had a whole fit and then his other issues. So he probably might not get in. Brandon Burns.
3: I think when we look at Chilling, you know, on the field, obviously Hall of Fame player, you know, with what he did in the postseason, you know, that's in and of itself right there. I think the biggest thing as we look at this class as a whole, with everybody returning, as well as with all the new first-timers, I think, you know, where we're at with all these guys being on the 10th year, we have to remember that when the baseball writers are making their point the Hall of Fame is going to have a ceremony no matter what this year with the guys getting voted in with the early baseball and also with the golden era. So you know, COVID obviously pushed back cheaters from two years ago to last year when they didn't vote anybody in. So at the end of the day, the Baseball Hall of Fame is going to look fine in this whole scenario because six people are going to go in the Hall of Fame this year. Whether it's a modern-day player or not, they're still going to have the ceremony. They're still going to have the people there. They're still going to sell their tickets, but I don't think any of these guys that we're talking about are going to get in
1: this year. Theran. Uh Yeah, I think he gets in this year. Honestly, the guy was great. I don't have too much more to say about that. Really? I think, you know, he should have been voted in years ago. Uh, big game ball player. I can't imagine that Boston dynasty, like without him. Really? He was definitely at the canals of uh, that one. So, yeah, he should be in for certain. Megan, your thoughts on the shilling thing?
2: Shilling is definitely um, the wild card here. As far as people's opinions that players who did steroids being a bad look for the Hall of Fame, I think someone who's asking to not be in the Hall of Fame in the Hall of Fame is an even worse look. I think that it's disrespectful in a lot of ways. Now, I think that there's been some chatter here and, and chatter amongst other thoughts too with baseball fans that, you can kind of, I guess you could say, redeem your image post-career. And I think it kind of goes both ways. I I don't think that Schilling doesn't deserve to be a Hall of Famer because of, of his image since retiring. I think that him disrespecting the Hall of Fame persona and even though being deserving of it i think that's really the thing that says why vote this guy in i mean imagine is he going to refuse to even show up at the ceremony if he gets voted in how is he going to react what's he going to do to me that's more of a mockery of the game of baseball as far as among the players who are deserving to get in than players like clemens and, and bonds he absolutely statistically for who he was when he was playing deserves to be in the Hall of Fame and should be voted into the Hall of Fame. His whip is actually better than Clemens. He played for more teams than Clemens did, too. He was a consistent contributor, an all-star, I think, six times. I definitely think that he should be in on just the merit of being a baseball player. However, as far as actually literally being requested to be taken off the ballot, I I say that the voters should do him the honor of giving him what he wants, and that's not bestowing him as a Hall of Fame um, inductee. Brandon Reagan.
5: Yeah, Kurt Schilling has definitely done the opposite of A Rod. Since his career has ended, he has made himself uh, worse. I think he's just done nothing but harm to his image. He's done the opposite of clean up his image, but he's made himself look worse. I think what holds Schilling back too is some of the things that he's said uh, since retiring or since being on the ballot. Schilling has put his foot in his mouth so many times and and offended people by some of the things that he said. I talked about earlier what's good for baseball. That's not good for baseball. Baseball is a very diverse game. Baseball is a a game where you have all different languages and races and and people playing together on a team. A lot of these guys don't even speak the same language, but they form these bonds, and it's a wonderful thing. Schilling, is he a Hall of Famer stats-wise? Yes, but I think he asked to remove himself from the ballot because he doesn't think he's going to get in. And he's like, you know what, I'm going to avoid the loss by just forfeiting the game. And that's a poor, poor move. You know, if, if you're not gonna get in, face it like a man and don't get in. But I understand You know, some of the things he said are about his personal convictions, the things that he's talked about. But at some point, there's a saying that I really like and, and it talks about, you don't have to compromise your personal convictions to be compassionate to other people. And I think that he doesn't get that. And to say the things he said and do the things he's done that would be one thing if he did those things and really didn't care what anybody thought, really didn't care about the Hall of Fame. But for all these years, he's done those things and he and he's upset that he's not in. You wonder why you're not in. You're clueless, dude. You're clueless when it comes to that. If we're going to go by what I said at the very beginning and, you know, integrity and being a good sportsman and being good for the game. That is worse than steroids. That does nothing to help the game. You can make an argument that steroids did help the game or save the game, but being a catalyst for um, division and things like that, it's just not a good look. Does he get in? I don't think he gets in. And I think that, like Megan said, he kind of made the decision for them. And why would they vote him in now that he said, take me off the ballot? You You know, give him what he wants. He wants to be a child about it. Give him what he wants. Give him what he wants and vote Bonds and Clemens in and leave him out
2: how I feel. So I was just gonna say, you know, when it comes to integrity, we're not debaters of integrity. We don't sit here again, we don't we don't pretend to be judge and jury and you know decide who has more integrity than others. But I think that it's easy to agree on that taking steroids, putting performing enhancing supplements into your body potentially does harm to yourself. But some of the comments and actions of Kurt Schilling since coming onto the battle over the last 10 years, uh, you could say has done harm to other people. And, and groups of people, you know, so as far as integrity goes and impact of your actions, I think that you make a point that the result of the steroid uses versus the result of your words and of your choices, they, they definitely weigh differently, I think, in this scenario. You guys have talked
4: me out of voting for Kurt Schilling. I'm changing my ballot. (laughs) I
0: I will say this. If he he said he would rather wait to the Veterans Committee, you better hope that you haven't pissed off a lot of people who are going to be the jury of your peers down the road because there might be some people. I know Mitch Williams is not going to get in the Hall of Fame because if Mitch Williams was a Hall of Fame voter, you know he's probably not going to swallow his pride and pick Kurt Schilling. But there's probably a few people who are waiting for that vote to definitely say no to Kurt Schilling that are playing, I mean, let people like Ken Griffey Jr. or maybe Barry Bonds or Frank Thomas or or, or anybody else we haven't mentioned yet that's gonna be on that list or plenty of other Hall of Fame managers, you're gonna get a whole mix of people, managers, players, executives, that if you leave that down to let them vote for Kurt Schilling, they might not be as judicious as the writers were these past nine years. And you're playing a dangerous game trying to put it in a jury of your peers if your peers probably don't like you. One name I want to get to before we sort of go like a a free-for-all This is a name I was going to look at. It's very interesting. I was going to say Scott Rowland, and that's something we can discuss. Eight-time Gold Glove winner, and we can say that a little bit later. That's iffy. A guy, you know, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that he found his way out of several cities on several different occasions. I'm going to say Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones is like a Dale Murphy-type player. Huge, huge upside. Very, very big peak. And then all of a sudden, at a particular age, just dropped off a mountaintop. And that's interesting. Andrew Jones is is someone I want to quickly talk about. Dave, your thoughts on Andrew Jones.
4: Yeah, Earl, again, I appreciate you. You made it really easy. He's a Dale Murphy type player who's not a Hall of Famer, and he didn't win two MVPs like Dale Murphy did. So there you go. <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie, your thoughts on Andrew Jones. You know what? He if he had continued on the trajectory where he started, no doubt he'd be in. But he just, and it's kind of sad because when he came with the Braves, everyone was like, Oh, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be the Hall of Fame, all that. And then he just kind of, you know what I mean? So he's, I don't think he's Hall of Fame. Brandon Burns.
3: One of the greatest defensive center fielders of his generation. Uh, offensively had a lot of great years. I, I think he's borderline. I think as you look at a lot of these guys, I think he might get a little bit of a push, but I think he has way too much ground to make up to get the 75%.
1: Thoran. You know, he has 10 gold gloves, and just think about that. Like he was the best at like, arguably like, oh, why? Well, it's it's a glamour position. But you're the captain of the outfield, you know, when you're in center, and he was the best at that in the world for at least a decades worth of time. That's saying a lot. Like not too many ball players can say that. Offensively, uh, I don't think of him as as a Hall of Famer offensively, although. Uh, looking back at his uh, one of his highlight reels, he evolved. He actually evolved into a decent offensive player. I'd say he was a solid, solid five-hole guy, you know, not necessarily like the one, not necessarily like a, a huge run producer, although I think he did hit at least 50 once in his career. But overall, based on the fact that he won 10 gold gloves alone, and I don't really know. I mean, I, I hear about Dale Murphy. I hear, I've heard he's great. But from what I saw growing up, Andrew Jones is definitely a Hall of Fame center fielder, if not a Hall of Fame baseball player as a whole. Megan, your thoughts?
2: You know, I think that we all can agree that when we think Andrew Jones, we think defense before offense. When we think about other players who have gotten into the Hall of Fame with those types of merits, you, the first one I think of is Ozzie Smith. And even though they're, they're, they're slightly different Errors, you know, I mean, a little bit of crossover, but the game of baseball was beginning to change. Ozzy Smith was better offensively than him. He was better defensively, even though 10 straight golden gloves is, is definitely an an amazing and a worthy accomplishment. You know, Ozzy does it 13 years in a row. You know, Ozzy's in more all star games back when all star games weren't popularity votes run by Taco Bell. So, you know, if you're looking at what it takes to get into the Hall of Fame, When your defensive merits may be more worthy than your offensive merits, I think the fact that he's made it now five years and is kind of being strung along a little bit, he's either going to have to really pick up steam with the voters in these next couple of years to make a difference, or he's going to just fall off after a decade. His disadvantage was that his time in the league was just as the era was changing from Ozzy's game to his game. And that. That's mattered. And so when he was first coming up with the Braves and everyone started thinking Hall of Fame, this is the Braves' future here, you know, who's this Slary guy, you know, coming up instead, you know, that's when Ozzie was getting inducted in 2002. And then all of a sudden, things started started changing in the modern era of baseball. And so I think Andrew, I think he was kind of stuck between two different generations of baseball, and he's probably going to fall short. Earl, can I
4: jump in here just real quick? You mentioned Ozzie Smith, because this always happens— Megan did a great job. Someone always mentions Ozzie Smith. I just need to tell you guys, Ozzie Smith's defensive war was 44.2. No one else in the history of baseball is over 40. Uh-huh. Okay? I mean, Ozzie Smith compared to a guy like Omar Vizquel, for example, who who people like and try to compare him to. Uh-huh. Ozzy had 700 more assists in 400 less games. Uh-huh. Ozzie Smith – you know and Megan I'm not picking on you just remember when anybody compares someone to Ozzie Smith they shouldn't be compared to Ozzie Smith exactly
2: and that's <laughs> and that's where and that's where Andrew Jones I think that's that's actually right. to his disadvantage you know if we're looking at his qualifications and trying to there's just no comparison different positions too it's completely different I hear it a lot in the Tampa Bay fandom about you know is Kevin Kiermeyer worthy of a future Hall of Fame if he stays on what he stays and his war does grow to be over 40 if he does start to have those defensive run saves, those are all worthy statistics that go into that wins above your replacement. Do you stand to be more valuable than others? And although Andrew Jones, as a super respectable war of 62, comparative to other people at that position in the era that he kind of shifted into, I just don't think that Andrew Jones is, is going to be up to snuff.
4: If you're not going to hit, you better be one of the one or two or three greatest defensive players of all time. Mm-hmm. That's it. If yeah. you're not going to hit, you're not going to make it.
2: Brandon
5: Reagan, your thoughts on Andrew Jones? Andrew Jones, he definitely was a defensive. He was more valuable defensively. Although I think he still did hit more than 400 home runs. So, I mean, he, he did hit. And he was part of a very popular time in baseball, part popular team. And then at Braves, in those years, the Braves were, you know, people were jumping on the Braves like crazy. Uh, a lot of uh, people bandwagoned um, onto the Braves and they were good. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they didn't deserve the fans, but, you know, Andrew Jones, if he could get in on his cool points, you know, his cool factor, that would help him, because, you know, when he was coming up through Atlanta, I mean, you know, he was like Atlanta's kind of Ken Griffey. He kind of had the swag of a guy with a good smile. He didn't have a punchable face like A-Rod. He was Mr. Cool, but, you know, his, his career kind of went off the rails. Um, he became kind of a journeyman afterward, and he got into some trouble. I think he had a, a strip club incident, and... Uh, I think later in life had some domestic violence things. And that's that's surely if the baseball writers are going to, continue to be a moral judge, they're going to keep him out unless those things aren't important. Sometimes they chalk those things up to, oh, that's what athletes do. They go to strip clubs and they, and they beat women. It's not OK. But, you know, sometimes that stuff kind of seems to be accepted for some reason for some athletes. But he was a good player. I'll give him that. He's on his fifth year. So it's definitely going to help him having Clemens and Bonds and Schilling out of the picture. It's kind of kind of depending on who else is in the runnings, it might help him. So I can't really decide on him. To be honest with you, I, I can't give a yes or a no.
0: I will say, looking at the ballot, next year is going to be a lean year. So people who don't get in this year that have plenty of years left will have a shot. 2024, it looks pretty lean with the exception of Adrian Beltre. And Carlos Beltran is going to be on there next year. And that that's going to be something people are going to reckon with. Some of the things that happened with the Astros could okay. Dent anything with that. And, and that's going to be something we're going to talk about uh, cheating of a different kind as opposed to using drugs, but using electronic performance mm-hmm. enhancers. But one more person I want to say before we go to our final vote, because there's so many people to mention. I am going to say, because we started talking about them and a couple of things that uh, brought it up. Omar Viscell, and, and the problem is that he was ascending, and then all of a sudden those allegations that came out of domestic abuse sort of uh, froze him in his tracks. And I didn't even know anything about that. I know last year me, Ronnie uh, Thoran, and Brandon did this. But all of a sudden, the, all the domestic violence, stuff, that was new to us. That was new to us and it sort of caught us by surprise, which was uh, a huge thing. And I think that might ding him now, especially with everything that's been going on lately. Omar Vizquel is a person that you have to talk about because, again, as you mentioned, Dave, and we start with you, everybody compares him to Ozzie Smith, and defensively, that's what's going to get him in. But if if there are other issues that might hurt him, that might be one of them.
4: Yeah, everyone who compares him to Ozzie Smith never saw Ozzie Smith play and should probably be slapped in the face. Not by me because I'm a pacifist, but I'm just saying someone should come along and slap them. Um Arvis Kell, 29.5 defensively. <laughs> Or, which makes him ninth all time, which hey, that's pretty good. But like I said earlier, if you're not gonna hit, he's got a 336 lifetime on base percentage. That's poor. He was a, a seventh or eighth hitter most of his career. And the reality is that, like you said, he had in the more recent allegations, but you just can't be a Hall of Famer historically if you're not dynamic offensively. And he certainly was not. But just as a side note, because there's some Oriole fans here, just know that Omar Vizquel, who's known for his defense, based on the all-time defensive war list, is behind Mark Belanger, Brooks Robinson, and uh, Luis Aparicio on that list. So he would be the fourth best left side of the infielder in Oriole history. I think that automatically should disqualify him from the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, I guess that pushes Cal down. But uh, <laughs> uh, Ronnie, your thoughts on Omar Vizquel?
4: I'm sorry. Cal was up there, too. Cal, Cal up there too. I'm sorry. So he'd be fifth.
6: <laughs> like Dave said, with Omar Vizquel, that he was constantly compared to Ozzie Smith. but And, you know, he, he was constantly featured on ESPN highlights. He, But he was part of that. Cleveland Indians team, but he had like, he had Jim Tomey and Albert Bell, all those big bats. So he didn't have to hit. He just had to show what he could do defensively. But at the same time, is that going to get you to Hall of Fame? If you're, you know, if your offensive numbers aren't up there, unless you're Ozzy Smith and he may have probably pushed him way in, but like you said, or with that, with the domestic stuff coming into play, they're going to have to look at that because that's not going to be, you know, if that's going to hinder him, if he doesn't have the offensive numbers You know, he's got to be at what uh, Ozzy Smith was, and nobody's where Ozzy Smith is. So he's probably not going to, he's probably not going to get in. Brandon Burns.
3: I think you guys uh, should go back and actually look at his statistics, actually, because offensively, he had 2877 for hits. And if you go back and look from 92 to 2007, his lowest hit total for a season was 144 outside of two years that he was hurt. So, I mean, he averaged 157 hits per season. And we have to remember, he started playing in 1989, and his last season was in 2012. So, I mean, for that long of a career, you know, we keep going back to, yes, he was good defensively. Yes, we compare him to Ozzy. Yes, he had the Omar the Outmaker when he was with early years in Seattle. But, I mean, he turned his career around from a hitting perspective to almost get to 3,000. So I know the domestic stuff now comes into play, but realistically, he was probably from longevity and from hitting standpoint,
4: he's probably not that far off. Brandon, I thought you and I were on the same team here, buddy. You're hurting my feelings.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Brandon, your thoughts on Omar Vizquel? Uh, You know, solid ball player. I thought it's really good of him to be known as one of the most reliable defensive players. Yes, I guess in baseball history. From what I saw, he never really seemed to be like a huge impact player. I liken him to uh, to like a Mike Bordick type. Maybe a little better defensively, but not by much. But you could always allow him to make the play that needed to be made. I think if the combination of Vizcal to Almar were able to be voted together, in the Hall of Fame, then he'd get in that way, but individually, no.
0: I don't think he'd want to be paired with Roberto alomar right now. That that's the last thing you want to be right <laughs> now. That's One, true. Uh, uh, Megan, yeah, that's uh, your thoughts on Omar Vizquel?
2: Well, I don't know if you purposely made us talk about him after Andrew Jones, but with looking at both of them being in their fifth year, and then if you start looking at Scott Rowland on that ballot as well, and you talk about the leanness between now and 2024. Actually, of those three guys, now I'm going back and I'm voting for Andrew Jones. If you look at his numbers comparative to Viscal, Vizquel, sure, Viscal's batting average looks better and and he's got more walks and he's got more hits, but he also needed 3,000 more at bat than Andrew Jones and, and, and Scott Rowland did in order to do that. I know we talked about consistency and longevity, but maybe that bell curve of a career that he had actually just kind of elongated the inevitable that he really just took a good career. And because he spread it out, it seemed greater than it really was. You know, defensively, you know, good at what he at what he did. And I do think that it definitely is harder to be a great shortstop than it is to be a great center fielder, you know, since these are three very different position players. But just looking at, I think opportunity and return on investment, and just kind of doing the most with the opportunities given. I think Vizquel actually just had a lot more opportunity to kind of—I'm not going to say pad the stats, but had opportunity to gain some of these stats and beef up some of these numbers. That if I'm looking at quality, and I've got a compiler, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's kind of compiled, right? And, and right opportunities got to move the teams when they needed that shortstop or transition to third basin when need be. And I say next year, I'm voting for Andrew Jones and Scott Rowland if they're on the ballot again over him, actually, if I'm now looking at kind of comparing players from the same era. So, no, I'm not voting for Viscal, Besides, you know, potentially the off the field issues and again, integrity wise, doing things that are causing harm directly to other people through his actions. I think that that definitely does influence a little bit of of the votability of Viscal for sure.
5: Brandon Riggin. Yeah, Vascal, you know, growing up, I remember watching Vizcal and him being a consistent ball player and, you know, making the plays. And yeah, you know, I, I don't think he was ever really a, a wow ball player. Like, you know, like you were like, oh, wow, Omar Vizcal, you know what I mean? He, he wasn't a, a big impact player. I think the term has been used. And, you know, like I said earlier, it, it's going to depend whether the writers continue to look at off field things. For some reason, like I said earlier, I think they look past certain things that people do and they harp on other things. I think they're kind of backwards. They harp more on whether somebody used steroids than if they had poor off-field conduct. And I think poor off-field conduct is worse for the game than steroids is. Again, goes back to steroids. You're just going to hurt yourself. You're the one who deals with the health effects from it if there are lingering effects later in life. But as far as uh, is he a Hall of Famer? I just don't think the it factor is there. What will help him is if Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling don't get in. Um, I think people will vote for him to kind of fill up their ballot as opposed if they don't want to vote for them. And then depending what next year brings, you know, with some names cleared up on the ballot, it may make his chances better.
1: Earl, the only
3: thing I'll bring up with with uh, Vassell then too, I mean, we can all agree that from really 93 through 01 in the American League, your shortstops you always mentioned were Nomar. A-Rod, and Jeter. Top three every year. From 93 to 2001, when all three of those guys were at their prime, coming up, winning championships, Viscale won every gold glove from 93 to 2001. So yeah, for right. almost a full decade, he was the only one winning the gold glove at shortstop in the American mm-hmm. League.
4: Jeter is statistically the worst defensive shortstop in the history of Major League Baseball. So I don't know if beating him is the greatest accomplishment of all time.
3: Almost a slam dunk unanimous Hall of Famer though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because he
4: hit. That's
2: the he key. Hit. Exactly. Because yeah. he, he hit. Because he, per- he performed. He performed. And, you know, wow. I mean, Omar definitely got a little bit shafted with the market. Okay? Again, I cheer, live, eat, sleep, and breathe a small market team. Okay? So, I, you know, I can understand we're being in Cleveland. You know, but even, even Baker Mayfield can shine in Cleveland. You know? I mean, Brandon, you said it yourself that there's no really wow factor to Omar Vizquel. I mean, to be perfectly honest, the highlight of the 1997 World Series for me is I remember hand sing the national anthem I don't remember Omar Pascal <laughs> but I remember the Hansen brothers singing the national Anthem <laughs> during that 97 World Series but, so but think, you know.
3: but think about that team though on those Indians teams though he's probably the fifth or sixth player that you would even mention because mm-hmm. think of what we were in in 96 97 98
2: mm-hmm. it
3: was right. chicks dig the long ball mm-hmm. Tomei, Sandy Alomar Bayerga Kenny Lofton you know Manny Ramirez, just thinking that Indians team where a majority of his career was, was he didn't need to be the top guy. He was the seventh, eighth hitter because that's where he fell in that lineup.
4: I I think this is where the ratio and percentage stats become so much more important than the raw stats. And that's my thing. He's got a lot of hits. He's got a lot of at-bats. Only two guys on the ballot have over 10,000 at-bats, him and A-Rod, and he doesn't have as many hits as A-Rod. Pete Rose, for example, and I'm not doubting Pete Rose. Pete Rose has the most hits. He also has the most at-bats. Like some of these things should travel together. Mm-hmm. And Omar played a long time. He got a lot of hits. I look more at the percentages than the raw data. That's, that, that's just me.
2: Yeah. I mean, 3,000 at-bats more than Roland and Andrew Jones on the same ballot year. That's significant. Very, very significant. There's plenty of plenty of guys in this league that, that don't even see 3,000 at-bats in their career. So right. that, that definitely does set apart some of the quality standards that come mm-hmm. with him being potentially deserving of this vote.
0: And I'll say this, that even Seattle thought they needed to move him to get A-Rod more space at shortstop. So that's saying something as well. I mean, yeah, it worked out for Cleveland, but think about it. You end up being potentially Hall of Fame. I mean, it happens sometimes where a guy who eventually ends up having Hall of Fame stats ends up getting moved to let another guy who potentially has Hall of Fame stats to end up taking that position. That trade for Felix Fermin probably worked out for everybody when you look at Seattle and Cleveland. But it is a very interesting thing. I also say, think about the book where he wrote about Jose Meza and the Game 7 against the Marlins. I mean, he tended to out a few people on the field, even some of his own teammates, sort of like the shilling effect is about talking about Mitch Williams and the book and how Jose Mesa just kept saying, every time I face him, I'm going to hit him. And he made that his career's work, uh, especially uh, as it went on while Vizquel was still in Cleveland and, and Mesa just kept moving on to team, to team, to team. That might be saying something else as well. What kind of person as a teammate would you bad mouth in a book? And it's not like retirement book. It was during his career. That he said something like that about a teammate. And Lenny Dexter did the same thing about Mitch Williams, too. But Lenny Dexter is nowhere near a Hall of Fame caliber player or person either. But as we start getting to this, I wanted to get to this. The final ballot, your 10 choices for this year's ballot. We're going to go in an order. We'll start with Dave, and then we'll go Megan, and then we'll go Thoran, and then Brandon Burns, and then, then Ronnie, and then Brandon Riggin, and then myself. So, Dave?
4: Okay, so I did not use all 10 of my spots because you guys talked me out of Kurt Schilling. So I was gonna change my mind, and you guys talked me out of Kurt Schilling. So my ballot is Barry Bonds first and foremost, Roger Clemens, Scott Rowland, Gary Sheffield, Manny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa, A Rod, and shockingly to probably many of you, Andy Pettit. That's,
0: that's an my ballot. And I mean and that's an interesting one. I know we'll talk about how. Whether there should be something prefaced about their careers and certain things, because a few people admitted uh, their use of performance enhancers. Yeah,
4: clearly, I don't care about steroids. I think if you've if you learned one thing about me, that's it.
0: I'm just like, if you admit, my thing is this admit that you use it, we'll grade you on a different curve. If you're that good on performance enhancers, you still have to do that regardless of what you do. Megan, you're balanced.
2: As much as I want to pull a Shaughnessy and just vote for Jeff Kent's mustache, I will not. (laughs) And uh, for me, if this is my ballot, I'm also not using all 10. Although I think that there's definitely some ratification to the voting process that having a a minimum number of votes be submitted. I don't think you always need to use all 10 just because you have 10. But for me, if I have to plug in my votes and submit them, it's, it's Bonds, it's Clemens, it's Roland, it's Billy Wagner. It is Manny Ramirez, Andy Pettit, and that's it for this year.
1: Theran, your ballot. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I thought it was uh, Slim Pickens this time around. So uh, Bonds, Chilling, The Rocket, Big Poppy, and I uh, i came around to Andrew Jones. And, uh, I'm surprised no one's uh, uh, mentioned this guy, but uh, Tim Lenticum. I'd actually give him a vote. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's going to get in this year. I don't think he'll get in any time soon. But I think he's worthy of the discussion for certain. And then, uh, parenthetically, I have free Jim Edmonds legacy. <laughs> any ballgame should be in there.
0: Yeah, I, I'm surprised we heard a big-time Timmy Jim reference when it came to a Hall of Fame vote. I mean, the, yep. <laughs> the, the Cy Youngs are, are the biggest thing, but he's probably an, an amplified a Mark the Bird Fidder, except he actually had more successful seasons. Brandon Burns, your ballot. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm going to use
3: the uh, whole 10. This is who I'd vote for. I don't know if uh, any of these guys are actually going to get in. But I'm going to go Schillings, Bonds, Clemens, Scott Rowland, Omar Vizquel, Todd Helton, along with Manny, I will take uh, Jeff Kent on my ballot this year and then to two first timers, I'll do Ortiz and Arod. With that being said, like I mentioned earlier though, I think the baseball writers are gonna make a point this year, and I think that's actually gonna help Roland as well as uh, Big Poppy. And I think they're gonna be the two that are gonna get in though.
0: Ronnie, your ballot of ten or less.
6: Well, I don't have 10, but and these aren't my personal choices, but these are people who I think need to get in just based on their pure talent. So I think you have to put bonds in there. Clemens has got to go in. A-Rod and Ortiz. I remember last year I was talking to you and I said I had, you know, Omar Vizquel on my list last year. And then after everything, you know, looking at his statistics and everything, I took him off. But those are the choices I think that would probably make the best for baseball. My personal feelings aside, I think those are the four that probably need to go in.
5: Brandon Riggin. Yeah, so I'm leaving Schilling out. I'm going with Bonds, Clemens, Roland, Gary Sheffield, Manny Ramirez. As much as I hate the Yankees, I would give Pettit a vote. And I'm not going to include A-Rod or David Ortiz just because I'm bitter uh and uh so i'll leave it at that i don't even know if that's 10 but those are the people i'm choosing
0: (laughs) (laughs) my ballot i'm gonna go barry bonds first and foremost roger clemens jeff kent just because you know he might have got some help hitting behind bonds and then he he still was solid after he left san francisco david ortiz i know that's iffy and i was debating on that i was wrestling with that billy wagner scott Rowland. He was probably a sort of malcontent when you complain your way out of Philadelphia. You complain your way out of St. Louis. You complain your way out of several other places. But eight gold gloves, that's – he was what I think maybe – Defensively, everybody thought David Wright would have been, and, and barring all the injuries that that hurt David Wright. Gary Sheffield, another situation sort of like Rowan. He got his way out of Milwaukee. He got his way out of San Diego. The comments he made about Derek Jeter and Joe Torrey, which yeah. you know everybody <laughs> loves Joe Torrey. I, I think, even though he's not in the Hall of Fame. Andrew Jones is on my list just because his collapse happened in the early 30s. It was not like it was like he was playing and all of a sudden he fell off a cliff at 35. Had he played till 35 and had three more even average seasons, he's probably 500 home runs. No, Todd Helton, because you need a pure Rocky in the Hall of Fame, because when I think of Larry Walker. He's an expo. Someone on the list. I did not pick Andy Pettit. I picked Tim Hudson. 222 wins. Probably part of one of the best rotations in Oakland was a solid part of some of those Atlanta teams as well. I did not pick Manny Ramirez because no one should be that dumb to get caught three times with a positive test. Maybe once you could get away with it, but not three times. (laughs) You cannot be that dumb to get caught three times because there's no way. I was going to hold my nose and vote shilling, but hey, asking you shall receive. And if you don't want to be picked, you know, I'm just going by your word. But yeah, mine bonds, Clemens, Kent, Ortiz, Wagner, Roland, Sheffield. Andrew Jones, Todd Helton, and Tim Hudson. Those are my 10 on the ballot. And I know the interesting thing is I love about these forums and these roundtables is getting baseball fans here just to talk and get their thoughts on who they think is, and I don't want to say who's worthy of a Hall of Fame, but who do you think should be in that list of, of those who are like otherworldly when it comes to baseball players. And I think that's a huge thing. And I really appreciate everybody taking the time to do this. As we wrap this up, I want to give everybody the opportunity to Anyone has any shout outs, anything they want to promote, ways people can reach out to you on social media. And we're going to start all the way in reverse to go Brandon Riggin. Any shout outs you have, anything you want to promote, any ways people can reach out to you on social media?
5: So, yeah, as far as social media, if you like really lame dad jokes, I'm your guy. You know, you can find me on there. I, I love a bad joke. The lamer the joke, the better. I like baseball. I talk Orioles. So, you know, if you're into the Orioles, I know more about the Orioles than I do about Pretty much all the other teams combined, probably. But shout out to all you guys and and girls for um, participating in this. This was great, fun time. Nice way to wind down at the end of a day and talk some sports. And you know, it's the off season and we got a lockout going on. But uh, before you know it, spring training will be here. I think they'll work it out, and we'll uh, we'll be seeing some action again soon.
0: Ronnie, any shout out? Anything you want to promote? Uh, ways people can reach out to you on social media?
6: Um. I'm using one just on Facebook. This was a lot of fun. I love being able to talk baseball. I don't find too many people that like baseball. So it's like hard trying to talk baseball, but to be around people who know the game and love the game, it's really fun. So I appreciate you guys. It was a lot of fun. Brandon Burns.
3: For me guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me tonight. Twitter wise uh, at Brandon Burns. Also on Instagram, a big dog dad. So you guys can follow my dog at the fluffy Baxter. If you guys want a good kick, uh, he's a little 20 pound Havanese that, uh, has taken over the world here in uh, the city of Pittsburgh.
0: Uh, Thoran, any shout outs, anything you want to promote? What are ways people can reach out to you on social media, even though I think, is that both your, at Sparky underscore McGirdle Cakes, your Twitter and Instagram?
1: Yes, yes. So as far as uh, media outreach is concerned, you can hit me up through uh, those two uh, accounts or whatnot. Earl, thank you for the platform. I love talking baseball too. Definitely, on. and I'm sure all of us. It seems like we all have a, a real like passion for the game. Thank you all for coming through and making this last uh, stretch in the tail end of my day uh, totally worth it. I enjoy listening to all of you once again and learning from you. And uh, yeah, we should do this again.
2: Megan, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at KMegan0717. As far as shout outs go, I think my wife is listening in the living room attached here. Today is January 13th. So I will actually shout out her. Today is the two year anniversary since she donated a kidney to a family friend of ours. So her and Junior um, are forever intertwined and attached for the last two years. and, And that was actually two months before our wedding day. So I didn't think she could look any more beautiful, but apparently in a wedding dress and one kidney, she rocked down the aisle two months after uh, donating that kidney. So I look forward to uh, connecting with you guys in the future. I love talking baseball. So thanks for uh, giving us a platform, Earl, to talk baseball on a Wednesday night. So appreciate it.
0: And Dave, what are ways people can reach out to you? Any shout outs,
4: anything you want to promote? Well, first of all, I can't top that, Megan. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's fantastic. So, uh Olson, yeah, I'm, a,
2: I'm a race fan. We got to have good things to celebrate outside of baseball, <laughs> right?
4: <laughs> that's right. Um, You can find me at XCA76 on Twitter and Instagram. Again, I like to talk a lot of sports. My Instagram, I focus more on my smoker and my barbecuing on uh, <laughs> Twitter as much more. Twitter is much more about sports, so um, just try to have a good time. Earl, again, thank you, man. I had a lot of fun last time I was with you. It's been a long time, but I had even that much more fun this time. Good to talk to all you guys, and uh, appreciate all you guys and gals. A lot of good baseball talk, and again, it's really all about Barry Bonds. The rest is just
0: details. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very fun guest panel, and I'm very thankful for Megan, Dave, Brandon, Brandon, Ronnie, and Tharan for being available to take part of this discussion. And I look forward to having some or all of them back to talk about the 2023 ballot. Next time, we'll be doing a best of episode where I'll look back at some of my favorite interviews from 2021 in my year in review. As always, all episodes of The Sports Refuge can be found wherever podcasts are heard, including Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, as well as on The Sports Refuge website. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of these apps and leave a mention, which we'll read on a future episode. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at thesportsrefuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at thesportsrefuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.